are on air for NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topics Sound Off. And this week we are previewing the races at Martinsville, a triple, a triple tenor. Joining me for tonight's uh, preview show is our co-host, Jay Schusman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Big weekend, like you said. It's triple header. The trucks are back. We got all three pentulum races uh, coming up here as we determine our championship four for each of NASCAR's top three touring series. What more can you ask for in a weekend? Absolutely. The elimination races will abound this weekend at Martinsville. Uh, there are going to be four racers happy to move on to the championship four at Phoenix, and there are going to be four racers disappointed that they're not moving on. So, uh, and that's in all three series. So, uh, definitely looking forward to the races this weekend. We're going to start with some updates, though, from the Arkham Menard series, the East and the West. Two of those series are done for the season. The West still has their season finale coming up at Phoenix, and we'll cover that uh, in just a few minutes. But then, uh, in the same, in the first half hour, we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck Series at Martinsville, and then we'll preview the Xfinity and the Cup Series also at Martinsville this weekend, all elimination races. Finally, we'll have our NASCAR Hot Topic sound off with the fan racing crew, and that starts at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. So, let's go ahead and get started with the Arkham Menard Series. Um, there's only one race left. Uh, in the Arkham Menard Series, and that's for the Menard Series, Arkham Menard Series West. They'll be racing the Arizona Lottery 1000 November the 6th at noon Mountain Time. That's 3 o'clock Eastern Time, Phoenix Raceway. That's the weekend. It will be available on TrackCast as well as uh, at ArcaRacing.com as uh, along with their race central coverage, which offers live updates from the track as they happen. So uh, a big finale coming up. We'll include that with our preview next week. And that's going to be our last show, Jay, next week. Yeah, that's a little bit of a bummer. Obviously, when we hit this time of season, we get excited about the uh, the championships and all, but that does also include then wrapping up our season here at fan for racing uh, blog talk radio. So uh, bittersweet, uh, but talking about this Arkham Menards West series, top five in points separated by six points, you know, that race or that championship is going to be settled <laughs> on the track at Phoenix. Yes, indeed. And they've got the entry list up. I'm, Looking at the entry list, I've been wanting to see this. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of drivers on this list. Uh, Sammy Smith, uh, the actual uh, ARCA East champion, is going to be in this race. Uh, some people are still yet to be determined. Uh, but I was look at Max Gutierrez is going to be there. Uh, Ty Gibbs is going to be there. Uh, we've got a lot of drivers uh, that are going to be in this race. Nick Sanchez, who just won at uh, the race 
at uh, Kansas uh, is also going to be there. So just uh, a few of the uh, highlighted names here. I didn't know if we would see any of the uh, – Daniel Dye is going to be there. Uh, I didn't know if we would see any of the uh, – Jake Garcia are going to be in that race. Roger Carruth is going to be there. Um, so Bridget Burgess, uh, she's a regular there in the ARCA West. But uh, I thought maybe we would see uh, some of the truck drivers or Xfinity Series drivers uh, racing there, but that's not the case that I can see so far. Well, the only one that falls under that category that I see uh, off the top of my head, I mean, it depends on where you put I guess, uh going to be in it. Drew Dollar uh, in the number 15, and he's obviously run some races for Venturini already, getting a start with the mm-hmm. West Series. Um, scrolling down, yeah, I don't see. Now, we do have, you mentioned a couple of uh, to-be-announced, or at least one um, that I saw there, quick scanning through it. All right, the 08 is also mm-hmm. another one. So we may still see some surprises, but you mentioned there were several big ones there, and I actually put the one up on Hot Topics. Uh, Amanda sent it to me as a Ford person. Jake Garcia becoming part of DGR um, Ford Development Program and going to be making his debut with DGR there. So I know we'll get to that in Hot Topics. Uh, One of many Hot Topics we have on the sheet for tonight as well. Yeah, I just went through and counted how many drivers are on that entry list. There's 36 drivers on this entry list. That's a full field for that one-mile track. Well, and, and that's ironic. We've we've seen it before of if there's a full field, then you have to start the race or finish in a certain position with the full field. And these guys are five points apart. I mean, that makes for such an interesting race. You couldn't have designed it or asked for anything better under this kind of point system. Okay, so a lot to look forward to with this uh, ARCA West season finale. Again, we'll get into more detail on next Thursday. Our uh, final preview show is next Thursday, and uh, we will definitely cover all of this for you. Uh, on that day. I believe that's November the 4th. Uh, yes, November the 4th. So uh, the just a quick recap for the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, we crowned the champion last week at Kansas Speedway. That was Ty Gibbs. Big uh, competition all year long between Ty Gibbs and uh, Corey Heim. And what a finish for Nick Chen's Nick Sanchez, who we had on our show on Monday night, uh, by the way, uh, to pass both of them as they're fighting for position. He just went underneath and took the lead uh, to win the race, his first victory. And uh, we had a chance to talk to him on Monday night about that. So if you haven't heard it yet, uh, I would suggest you go back and listen to the podcast. Well, and we talked about that all year as Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim were always one on top of the other next to each other, bumping and banging. And that is your opportunity for some other drivers to capitalize. Nick Sanchez running a great race in third place, able to do that this past week. I'm so happy for him and the things he's got happening moving forward uh, in his career. I asked Nick if he, um, if he learned anything by watching Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim 
uh, throughout the year. And he said he didn't so much learn anything from them, but what he did learn is how to race with them and get around them. So, uh, and that's exactly what he did on uh, on that uh, Kansas race. Uh, also in the Arkham Menard Series East, the uh, series champion Sammy Smith uh, in that series, and he pretty much took the lead and kept it uh, for for most of that second half of the season. Yeah, another one that that had a very phenomenal season. I, you know, I don't want to overuse that word, but when you look at second, third, fourth place, some of these drivers had good or great seasons, and they got beat. That means the top guy had to have a phenomenal season. I mean, there's no other way to say it, and that comes true specifically in the Arkham Menard series with Ty Gibbs, as Corey Heim actually had a phenomenal season of his own and still got beat. Yes, indeed. Okay, so um, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to the races that are taking place this weekend out at Martinsville Speedway. Again, these are elimination races, and we're going to start with the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, They'll be racing the United Rentals 200 at Martinsville Speedway this Saturday, October the 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse for this race, this is something that they've added uh, to the notes here, $674,952. Pre-race coverage will start on Fox Sports 1 at 12 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage is available on MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 105.2 miles, over 200 laps, the first two stages are 50 laps each. Stage one ends on lap 50, stage two on lap 100, and the final stage is another 100 laps and ends on lap 200. So what do we have there for the uh, truck series? Well, we're talking about championships. we got the Manufacturers Championship. Give you an update on that. Uh, this weekend is Martinsville at Martinsville Speedway. Toyota has the chance to clinch the 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series Manufacturers Championship. Toyota is currently leading the NASCAR NASCAR Camping World Truck Series standings by 71 points over Chevrolet. They got a total of 14 wins on the year for 762 points. Chevrolet has four wins with 691, and Ford has two for 623 points. If Toyota clinches the title this season, it'll be the Manufacturer Series leading 12th OEM championship. When we look at that uh, over the years, Toyota has 11 of them, the most recent, 2019. Uh, Chevrolet has 10. Their most recent was last year in 2020. The Dodge Ram has three with 2000, uh, the most recent being 2004, and Ford having a pair they go back to the year 2000 for their most recent. Okay. Uh, next, we're going to do a review of uh, the round of eight contenders at Martinsville uh, when they return to action at the Speedway this weekend. And we can expect a lot of beating and banging on the racetrack as a lot will be on the line for every one of these drivers. Below is a quick look at the round of eight challengers at Martinsville, and we're going to start from the bottom up here. 
and uh, if you want to start with Zane Smith and Carson Hosebar, then I'll take the next two. All right, Zane Smith, he heads to Martinsville, currently ranked eighth in the playoff standings, 40 points back from Sheldon Creed, who's in the fourth and final transfer spot to the championship four round. Smith is in a must-win situation this weekend, and he's looking to make the championship four round for the second time in his career, as he made it in 2020. Now, Smith has just made uh, one series start at Martinsville Speedway, which came last season, when he started second and finished third. Not bad, but if he's a must-win, he might need a little more. Carson Hosevar, he's seventh in the playoff standings uh, heading into Martinsville. He's a stout 37 points back from Sheldon Creed in that fourth and final transfer spot to the championship four round. Hosevar is a rookie this season. He's looking to make the championship four round for the first time in his career, obviously. Hosevar has made his series track debut at Martinsville Speedway last season as well. His not as good. He started 33rd, but raced his way up to a 13th place finish. Next up, we have Chandler Smith. He's right now sixth in the playoff standings, 34 points behind Sheldon Creed, who is in that fourth and final transfer spot to the championship four round. Now, Smith is a rookie this season, and he's looking to make the championship round, of course, for the first time in his career. So he's going to have his work cut out for him this weekend as he will be making his series track debut at Martinsville Speedway. Stuart Friesen resides in the fifth position on the playoff standings. That's the first spot outside the championship four-round cutoff. He's just five points behind Sheldon Creed, though, who sits in fourth. And uh, Friesen is looking to make the championship four-round for the second time in his career. He also did it in 2019. Friesen has made seven starts at Martinsville, and he's posted one top five and four top 10. Well, we've had this name come up a couple times already, Sheldon Creed. First off, he's a defending series champion, but he finds himself in that fourth and final transfer spot to the championship four round, just five points ahead of previously mentioned Stuart Friesen. The first spot outside the rounds cut off. Now Creed is looking to make the championship four round for the second time in his career, or back-to-back, as a matter of fact, as he did it last year when he won the championship. Creed has a total of four series starts at Martinsville, collecting one top-ten finish. Up next, we got the most experience, as Matt Crafton heads to Martinsville third in the standings. He has a 10-point lead on the championship four-round cutoff. Crafton is looking to advance to the championship four-round for a series-leading fourth time in his career. He's done it in 2016, 17, and 19. He's currently tied with Johnny Sauter and Brett Moffitt for the series' most championship four-round appearances with three each. Crafton leads the series and starts at Martinsville with a whopping 37. Those 37 starts have produced two wins coming in 2014 and 15, in a total of 10 top fives and 21 top tens. Okay, your top two drivers include Ben Rhodes. He's second in the cushion above the championship four-round cutoff. 
Now, Rose is trying to qualify for the championship for a round for the first time in his career. He has made 10 series starts at Martinsville, putting up three top fives and five top tens. And our series leader right now, John Hunter Nemechek, uh, leads with a 36-point edge over the championship four-round cut line. Uh, that's just one point, though, ahead of Ben Rhodes. Nemechek is looking to advance to the uh, final four rounds for the first time in his career, and he has made 12 starts at Martinsville. He's posted one win in 2018, four top fives, and five top tens. So uh, pretty cool. But uh, what's our first-time winner trend in the Camping World Truck Series? I was going to say, we mentioned a couple that are making first starts or looking for that first win at Martinsville, and it could come, as that is the trend in the Camping World Truck Series. It was Young's Motorsports, Tate Fogelman. He was the fifth different first-time winner this season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series with his surprising win three weeks ago at Talladega Super Speedway as he joined Martin Truex Jr., picked one up at the Bristol Dirt Track, Ryan Priest, who picked up a win at Nashville, and then Chandler Smith at Bristol, as well as Christian Eckes at Las Vegas. Now, with Fogelman's victory, the 2021 season becomes the third consecutive season and 14th overall, uh, going from 1995 to the present, that the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series has produced five or more first-time winners in a single season. Every season since the inception of the series in 1995 has it produced at least one first-time winner. In the 2012 season, that holds the Camping World Truck Series record for the most first-time winners in this series in a single season with nine. Now, when we look at Martinsville Speedway, it's been home to 11 different first-time winners in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Most recent, Todd Gillen's win in 2019. Looking a little further back, in 2017, the fall race, it was Noah Gregson. In the spring race of 2015, Joey Logano got his first Truck Series win. Bubba Wallace did it in the fall race of 2013. Denny Hamlin uh, in the fall of 2011. Going back even further, 2009 of the fall, it was Timothy Peters. Bobby Labonte did it in the spring, April of 2005, whereas in the fall of 2005, it was Ricky Craven. In 2004, the fall race, it was Jamie McMurray. And we got a couple of spring race winners. In 2001, April, it was Scott Riggs. In April of 2000, it was Bobby Hamilton. So that's uh, quite a list and gives these guys some confidence, at least going into Martinsville. Yes, indeed. Uh, next up, we're going to uh, take a look at the championship for a round, uh, which is still wide open with non-playoff drivers uh, taking the first two races in the uh, round of eight for the truck series. The race for the championship four is wide open with all eight drivers still having a shot at the coveted four, stop, four spots as it all comes down to the last race of the round at Martinsville. Uh, no drivers have clinched the spot in the four-driver field for the next round. If there is a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, 
these drivers could clinch by being ahead of the fifth winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements uh, would hold true if a new win comes from along John Hunter Nemechek, then Rhodes, Matt Crafton, or Sheldon Creed, the top four drivers. John Hunter Nemechek needs 20 points, then Rhodes, 21. Matt Crafton needs 46 points. Sheldon Creed, 51 points. Stuart Preason, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosebar, and Zane Smith, the drivers below the cut line, can only clinch with help. Now, if there's a new winner from Stuart Preason or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, uh, well, there's some drivers that could clinch by being head of the fourth winless driver in the standings. Again, John Hunter Nemechek needs 25 points. Ben Rhodes, one more point, 26. Matt Crafton needs 51 points, and Sheldon Creed is going to need some help in that situation. Again, the bottom four drivers, Stuart Friesen, Carson, uh, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosefine, and Zane Smith can only clinch with help. Now, all eight drivers, of course, can clinch with a win alone this weekend. Uh, so, again, those drivers are Nemechek, Rhodes, Crafton, and Creed above the cut line, and Friesen, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosebar, and Zane Smith below that cut line. So you've got uh, Austin Hill and Todd Gilliland are ninth and tenth there below. They were eliminated in the last round. Uh, again, Friesen, Carson, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosebar, both rookies, and Zane Smith are below the cut line. The closest is Stuart Friesen, just five points below. Um, but the other three are going to need uh, help. They're going to need to get that win. Uh, the drivers above the cut line, uh, well, let me tell you, Chandler Smith is 34 points back, Carson Hosfar 37 points back, and Zane Smith 40 points back. Sheldon Creed, five points above, Matt Crafton 10 points above, Ben Rhodes, 35 points above, and John Henry Nemechek, 36 points above. Nemechek, of course, has the 50 playoff points. Uh, second uh, most playoff points is Sheldon Creed with 26. Ben Rhodes has the 19 playoff points. And uh, those are your top three. Matt Crafton, above the cut line, only has the four playoff points. The highest winner is John Hummer Nemechek with five. Sheldon Creed has three, then Rhodes two. And then below the cut line, the only driver with a win is Chandler Smith. So uh, there you have it for this weekend at Martinsville. Well, and actually moving forward, those, those points really don't mean much. It got them to this point. But we're either in or out now, and then it's beat those drivers when it comes to the championship uh, yeah. for race at uh We're Phoenix, probably so. not going to be able to do this next section, uh, Jay, because we're going to have to move on to the uh, uh, Xfinity series here. Okay. Okay. So uh, moving on to the Xfinity Series, I want to make sure we get all of this in. Uh, and there's always a ton of information in the Cup Series. So uh, the Xfinity Series 
is going to be racing the Dead On Tools to at Martinsville Speedway on Saturday, October the 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse for this race is one million. $325,013. TV coverage will be on NBC Sports Network starting at 5.30 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 131.5 miles over 250 laps. The first two stages are 60 laps apiece, stage one ending on lap 60, stage two on lap 120, the final stage is 130 laps, ending on lap 250. So uh, where are we going to start with the Xfinity Series? Well, I've got a lot of odds and end notes to, uh, to cover here. One, a great thing, Colin Garrett is promoting veteran and active military health this weekend at Martinsville. And with Sam Hunt Racing announced that Colin Garrett will pilot the number 26 Veterans Grow America Toyota in his first career NASCAR Xfinity Series start at his home track of Martinsville Speedway. Now, Garrett is an Elmo, Virginia native, is a former South Boston Speedway track champion in the limited late model division, and current competitor for Sellers Burton out of Danville, Virginia, in the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series. And Garrett will be representing the 1111 Veteran Project campaign, a movement that uh, means a lot to him. The 1111 Veteran Project serves as a way to expand access to veteran and active duty military programs to prevent suicide and assist veterans, active duty military, and their families across the country. Veterans Grow America will also be on the number 26 this weekend, and that provides a forum for veteran and military spouses to showcase and grow their business by partnering with local, state, and federal veteran organizations to increase brand awareness. And Garrett comes from a family of veterans and active duty military and has dedicated his life to promoting and finding resources for them and their family. Garrett is also, driving, also a driving instructor for active duty military and first responders alongside his partner, Racing for Heroes Tactical Mobility in Danville. He instructs tactical mobility training at Summit Point Raceway in Summit Point, West Virginia. And as a veteran, that, that, that program, those two programs actually really do mean a lot to veterans. Yes, indeed. Now, Akinori Ogata is making his first start at Martinsville. Uh, He's going to be returning, actually, to the NASCAR Xfinity Series this weekend for the second time of the year, Uh, this time at Martinsville with B.J. McLeod Motorsports. Akinori, who is from Kanagawa, Yokohama, has competed on a part-time basis in the Truck Series since 2014. His first Xfinity Series start was in 2018, and most recently he competed at Richmond Raceway earlier this year, finishing 34th. Shinano Pneumatic Tools will be back with Ogata as a primary partner this weekend. So uh, we're glad to have him back in the Xfinity Series. Hopefully we'll see him more often. Another debut this weekend of sorts is Preston uh, Preston Pardis as he's making his oval debut. Preston Pardis has 13 NASCAR Xfinity Series starts to his name, but has never made a short track or oval debut. 
and that will change this weekend when he pilots the number 90 DGM Racing Chevrolet. The last time Pardis raced on a track with only left turns was when he was a kid in a quarter midget. Over the past 30 days, Pardis uh, won the NASA and SCCA championships and notched a career-best Xfinity Series finish of 7th at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval earlier this month. And this has had a lot of press. Dale Jr. is going to be running the 22 Xfinity Spring Race at Martinsville. On Dale Jr. Download this week, Dale Jr. announced that he will be making his single 2022 Xfinity Series start at Martinsville Speedway. He's going to be driving the fifth Junior Motorsports Chevrolet on Friday, April the 8th. Since retiring from full-time competition, Bernhard has four Xfinity Series starts and three top five finishes. So uh, good to know that uh, he's already announced what that one race is going to be this year, or next year, I should say. And, and ticket sales probably went through uh, through the roof already. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Now we'll look for the Xfinity Series, look at the manufacturer's update. This one's a little bit different. Martinsville Speedway this weekend. Chevrolet currently leads the Xfinity Series Manufacturers Championship standings by only 43 points over Toyota in second. If Chevrolet leaves Martinsville with at least a 41-point margin ahead of whichever manufacturer is ranked second, they'll clinch the 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series Manufacturers Championship. We break it down. Chevrolet has 15 wins for 1,150 points. Toyota has 11 for 1,107, and Ford has five victories for 1,029. Now, if Chevrolet wins the Manufacturer's Championship in the NASCAR Xfinity Series this season, it'll be their series-leading 22nd title in the series. We look back over that, mention they have 21, most recent, 2020. Ford has four championships in the Xfinity Series, the most recent being back, though, in 2013. Toyota does have four championships for the series. Their most recent, though, is 2016. And Oldsmobile has one, and that comes back in 1991. Wow. Okay, next up we'll look at the uh, Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. And uh, that uh, is really interesting because Gibbs actually extended his lead after Kansas. It's been a back and forth uh, all year, all season long between the rookies, Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry, uh, for this season in the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. But after another win last weekend at Kansas, Gibbs extended his lead in the standings to 120 with 10 awards and has mathematically clinched the 2021 Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors, but will not be officially awarded until he finishes this season in good standing per the program guidelines of eligibility. So Ty Gibbs has a 645 points and 10 awards. Josh Berry at 525, eight awards. Jade Buford, 287, with four awards. Ryan Vargas, 285, two points back uh, from the nearest competitor with three awards. 
And Sam Mayer, just four points back from Ryan Vargas with five awards, and he's only raced the second half of the season. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs has made 17 series starts in 2021, putting up four wins, nine top fives, and ten top tens. Just amazing. Yeah, add that to the list of accomplishments and awards that Joe Gibbs, or uh, Ty Gibbs, sorry, has won uh, this year. Yeah, now no we're going to look at the uh, round of eight Xfinity Series playoff drivers for 2021. Uh, give you a little preview here. The round will conclude at Martinsville Speedway, and there are no drivers locked into the championship four. So, Sharon, you want to start with uh, Harrison Burton here, and we'll go from bottom up again. Okay, Harrison Burton is the driver of the number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota and is the only driver in the playoffs with a previous win at Martinsville Speedway. He won there last season in his first ever start at the track from the 10th starting position. Most recently, earlier this season, he started on the pole but finished 7th. He has led 133 laps of 500 completed at the track. Brandon Jones is next. He's the driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's made two starts at Martinsville in his Xfinity career. He started seventh in his debut last year and finished ninth earlier this season. He started 24th. Oh, earlier this season, he started 24th and finished fifth. He does have an average start of 15.5, but his average finish is 7.0. Moving up the list, and one that you've got to consider a factor, Noah Gregson is driver of the number nine junior motor short Chevrolet. He's made two Xfinity Series start at the paperclip. In his first start in 2020, he started second and finished third, and earlier this season, he started eighth and finished second. And Gregson is very strong at Martinsville, has an average start of 5.0 and an average finish at 2.5. Then you got Justin Haley. He's driver of the number 11, Colleg Racing Chevrolet. He'll be making his third career start at Martinsville Speedway on Saturday evening. In his first start in 2020, he started third and finished 12th. Most recently, earlier this season, he started fifth and finished eighth. Okay, those are the drivers below the cut line. Next, we'll cover the drivers above the cut line. Daniel Hemrick, the driver of the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, is making his second Xfinity Series start at Martinsville on Saturday night. His first start came earlier this season when he started fourth and finished third. He also led 28 laps during the 250-lap event. Justin Algauer, the driver of the number seven junior motorsports Chevrolet, is also making his third start Saturday at Martinsville. In his first start last year, he started sixth and finished runner-up. And earlier this season, he started second and finished ninth. He has an average start of 4.0 with an average finish of 5.5. Well, that brings us to our top two, but not definitive, championship contenders. Start with the second place is A.J. Allmendinger, driver of the number 16 Colleg Racing Chevrolet. He'll visit Martinsville Speedway for the third time in his career this weekend. His first start at the track was in 2020, started 36 and finished 26. 
Earlier this season, though, he started third and finished 13th. In his two starts, he's completed 498 of the 500 attempted and led 68 laps total. He does have an average start and finish of 19.5. Now, Austin Sindrick, driver of the number 22 Team Penske Ford, has made two Xfinity Series starts at Martinsville. His first came at the race in the 2020 season and when he started on the pole and finished 10th. Earlier this year, Sendrick started 6th and finished 6th at the track. He has led 42 laps at the half-mile track, with an average start of 3.5, and a solid average finish of 8.0. Okay, we'll cover the clinch scenarios here. Uh, The NASCAR Xfinity Series round of eight ends this weekend at Martinsville, but with not with a non-playoff driver winning the first two events in the round, all eight drivers again are fighting for their spot in the championship four round. Currently, none of the eight drivers have clinched a spot in the final round, very similar to the truck series. Now, if there's a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, the, these drivers could clinch by being ahead of the fifth winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements would hold true if a new win comes from among Austin Cendrick, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Allendauer, or Daniel Hemrick. Those are the drivers above the cut line. Austin Cendrick needs nine points, as does A.J. Allmendinger. Justin Allendauer needs 47 points, and Daniel Hemrick needs 49 points. Uh, Justin Haley, Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones, and Harrison Burton can only clinch with help. Now, if there's a new winner from Justin Haley or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, these drivers could clinch by being ahead of the fourth winless driver in the standings. Again, Austin Sendrick and A.J. Amendinger both need 15 points. Justin Algauer needs 53 points, and Daniel Hemrick needs 55 points. Those are the four drivers above the cut line. Those four drivers that are below, Haley, Gregson, Jones, and Burton, they can only clinch with help. Uh, Of course, if they get a win, a win in your end for all eight drivers, uh, including Almendinger, Sendrick, Algauer, Gregson, Hemrick, Haley, Burton and Jones. Uh, the four drivers that were eliminated in the previous round are Jeb Burton, Maya Snyder, Riley Earp, and Jeremy Clements in positions 9 through 12. Now, Harrison Burton is 51, two wins and eight playoff points. Brandon Jones has 40 back with uh, no wins. I'm sorry, uh, those are two stage wins for Harrison Burton. Brandon Jones has no wins on the season, but does have one stage win and three playoff points, but 40 points back. Noah Gregson has two wins, three stage wins. That gives him 17 playoff points. He's 24 points back. And Justin Haley is the closest. He has the one win, five stage wins, and 15 playoff points. He's only seven back. Those drivers above the cat line, Daniel Hemrick, seven above with no wins but nine stage wins and 16 playoff points. Algauer has the two wins, three stage wins, and 21 playoff points. 
nine points above. Almendinger and Cindric are both 47 points above the cut line. Uh, they both have five race wins. They both have 11 stage wins. But Almendinger has 50 playoff points, and Cindric has 44 playoff points. So some interesting stats there for the playoff contenders. Uh, it's going to be fun to see what happens. It is. In our final section here, we got some Xfinity Series and Facts uh, Paperclip Edition as the Xfinity Series takes on Martinsville Speedway Actually, Saturday night. We're going to move to the I, Cup I Series? Think, yeah, we got to move to the Cup. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Okay, with the Cup Series, they'll be racing the Xfinity 500 at Martinsville this Sunday, October the 31st, on Halloween uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse, $7,778,099. NBC will have the pre-race coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90, uh, also having coverage. The racing distance is 263 miles over 500 laps. The first two stages are 130 laps each. Stage one ends on lap 130, stage two on 260, and the final stage is 240 laps, ending on lap 500. So what's up in the Cup Series? Well, we had Dale Earnhardt Jr. in in the news for another reason uh, this week, as him and Clint Boyer, along with Stewart, uh, Tony Stewart, made laps in the next-gen car at Bowman Gray Stadium this week. Now, this was following a next-gen car Goodyear tire test at Bowman Gray Stadium, where former drivers turned TV sports analyst Dale Earnhardt Jr., who covers NBC Sports, and Clint Boyer from Fox Sports, got a chance to turn to run some laps in the new next-gen car at Bowman Gray Stadium. The opportunity provided the former drivers with a chance to get to know the next-gen car better and be able to speak to its comparison to the previous generation of race cars as the series prepares for the next-gen car debut next season, starting at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum for the Clash, which will come on February 6, 2022. And that's a similar, they expect it to be a similar style track, although dirt versus asphalt. No, I take that back. That's not no. going to be uh, dirt. No. That was my wish list. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to cover the Manufacturers Championship update this time. And with Hendrick Motorsports driver Kyle Larson winning Chevrolet's 17th race of the 2021 season last weekend. They are now 87 points ahead of Toyota and Ford and have mathematically clinched the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series Manufacturers Championship. Chevrolet has the 17 wins, 1,256 points, followed by Toyota with 10 wins, 1,016 1,169 points, and Ford has seven wins, but the exact same points as Toyota at 1,169 points. Now, nine different manufacturers have won the Cup Series Manufacturers Championship. This is Chevrolet's series-leading 40th Cup Series Manufacturers Championship. Wow. 
So Chevrolet has 40 of the most recent this year. Ford is the next closest with 17, their most recent, in 2020. Toyota with three, along with Hudson with three. Toyota having their most recent in 2019. And Hudson won their last one in 1954. Buick has two, along with Dodge with two. Buick had their last uh, championship in 82. Dodge in 75. Oldsmobile, Plymouth, and Pontiac each have one. Oldsmobile's most recent in 1955. Plymouth's most recent in 1971. And Pontiac won their last championship in 1962. Interesting stats there. And there there you definitely have your history uh, lesson for the week. Now we move on to the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. Uh, This one, there were two rookies competing this year. Uh, Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe currently leads the 2021 Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings, but he has a 307-point lead over front-row motorsports' Anthony Alfredo. Briscoe has mathematically clinched the 2021 Rookie of the Year honors, but it will not be officially awarded until he finishes the season in good standings per the program's guidelines and eligibility. Those 639 points have come on 29 awards. Anthony Alfredo has 332 points, picking up five awards. Briscoe's rookie campaign has produced three top 10 finishes and 34 starts. His average starting position in 2021 is 22.2. His average finish in 19.1. He's led a total of 18 laps, and he won 29 of the Sunoco Rookie of the Year awards. Okay. Uh, I'm going to skip this one, and we'll go to the uh, uh, rundown of the drivers. The playoff bubble, uh, the time to step up is right now. (laughs) Seven drivers vying for three. Sharon, I lost you for some reason. I think we might have lost Sharon here. We're going to go ahead as she was starting to cover the playoff bubble. Seven drivers vying for three with one last chance to make it happen. Now, that's the scenario for the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series playoff round of eight drivers not named Kyle Larson as they're facing this weekend. And this series heads to Martinsville Speedway for the Xfinity 500. That race will be on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern. NBC, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio will have coverage. A win in advance is the only sure thing this weekend at Martinsville Speedway for the playoff drivers. And since Larson has won the first two races of the round of eight at Texas and Kansas, at least two of the three open open championship four-round spots will be secured on points. And the points are sure tight along the cut line. Currently, the two-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Kyle Busch holds the fourth and final transfer spot in the playoff driver standings 
a mere one point up on Team Penske's Ryan Blaney, who's in the fifth spot in the standings, the first spot which is outside the championship four-round cutoff. Then, not far behind Blaney is Martin Truix, who is back three points in sixth. Brad Keselowski is six points back in seventh. Joey Logano is a little more dire in in a spot with 26 points back. Two by two if Sharon is back. All right, doesn't sound like she has been able to reconnect yet. So we'll take a look at the total playoff uh, grid. Kyle Larson has had nine race wins so far and is locked in on points. Mentioned Chase Elliott, two wins. He is 34 points above the cut line, sitting pretty good, along with Denny Hamlin, who's got his two victories, both coming in the playoffs, and sits 32 points up. The other five we have covered, so... I'll slide down and start at the bottom and cover two of the Team Penske's. Uh, Joey Logano is last but not least in the playoffs round of eight standings with 26 points between himself and the championship four round. Uh, Logano is looking to qualify for the championship four round for the fifth time in his career. He's done it in 2014, 16. Logano has made 25 series starts at Martinsville producing one win coming in 2018, eight top fives, and 13 top tens. He finished sixth at the half-mile track earlier this season. Brad Keselowski, currently seventh in the playoff standings, is six points back from Kyle Busch in the fourth and final transfer spot to the championship four round. He's the 2012 series champion, and he's looking to make the championship four round for, and it has a question mark there, that's cute, uh, in his career. I'll have to look, back, look at that up. Uh, Keselowski has made 23 starts at Martinsville, amassing two wins in 2017 and 19. He has a total of 11 top fives and 16 top tens. I finished 33rd at the half-mile track back in April, and that was due to a late race incident. Sharon, are we back yet? All right, I'll keep covering up. Martin Truex, he is the most recent. Okay, now I think we might have Sharon back. Yeah, where are we? All right, Uh, I covered up uh, Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski, so if you want to start with Martin Truex and then Ryan Blaney. Okay, I apologize. I I went through the whole thing before I realized (laughs) that I wasn't on. Okay, Martin Truex Jr. is the most recent winner at Martinsville Speedway. He won in April of this year. And right now he sits sixth in the playoff standings, just a mere three points behind Kyle Busch in fourth, the final transfer spot to the final four round. Now Truex is looking to qualify for the championship four round for the fifth during his career. Uh, He did it in 15, 17, 18, and 19. He's made 31 starts at Martinsville, putting up three wins in 19, 20, and 21. Uh, He has eight top fives and 14 top tens, and I think I read he's the favorite to win this weekend. Ryan Blaney finds himself in fifth in the playoff standings. He's just one point back from Kyle Busch in fourth, uh, in the final transfer spot, 
and Blaney is looking to advance to the final round of the playoffs for the first time in his career. He's made 11 starts at Martinsville, posting five top fives, six top tens. He finished 11th at the half-mile track earlier this season. Next up, the top two drivers. No, I'm sorry. Those are the drivers below the cut line, right? Yep, starting with the cut line where it's at in fourth place. And then third, we got a couple of Joe Gibbs racing teammates. And first one's Kyle Busch, and he heads fourth in that playoff standings with just a single-point advantage on the championship four-round cutoff. But he's on the positive side. Busch is a two-time series champion looking to make the championship four-round for series-leading sixth time in his career, uh, 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19. He's currently tied with Kevin Harvick for the series' most championship four-round appearances at five each. Bush has made a total of 32 starts at Martinsville. He's grabbed two wins coming in 2016 and 17. He has a total of 16 top fives and 19 top tens. He finished 10th at the half-mile track back in April. His teammate, Denny Hamlin, is residing in that third playoff standing spot with a 32-point cushion above the championship four-round cut line. Now, Hamlin is looking to advance to the championship four-round for the fourth time in his career, as he has done so in 2014, 19, and then 2020. Hamlin has a total of 31 starts at, the Martins, at Martinsville, posting five wins. It came in 2008, 09, 2010 was a sweep, and then again in 2015. That's brought also a total of 16 top fives and 22 top tens. He was third at the half-mile track earlier this season. But that leaves two guys that are good ones to pick. Yes, indeed. The top two drivers, Chase Elliott currently in second place with a 34-point edge on the championship four-round cutoff. The 2020 NASCAR Cup Series champion is looking to advance to the final four round for the second time in his career this season. Elliott's made 12 starts at Martinsville, collecting one win last year, five top fives and seven top tens, including winning this playoff race last season. He finished runner-up to Martin Truex Jr. at the half-mile track earlier this season. And in number one spot is Kyle Larson, and he's already secured his spot in the NASCAR Cup Series final round. It is the first time in his career he has advanced this far in the playoffs. Larson has made 13 starts at Martinsdale, posting two top fives and three top tens. He finished fifth at the half-mile track earlier this season. Okay. All right. Let's skip this What else section, do you want to cover Jay. here? Yeah, let's go to the clinch scenarios. All right. We do have that penultimate race here at Martinsville Speedway. With the pressure of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs reaching its boiling point, they return to Martinsville Speedway, a round of eight elimination race. It's the Xfinity 500. And it will decide who will battle it out for the title in the championship four-round at Phoenix Raceway next weekend. Hendrick Motorsports driver Kyle Larson and NASCAR Cup Series regular season champion 
The only driver this weekend who can rest easy is he is already locked into the championship four round on his wins at Texas and Kansas, which opened the round of eight. And with just those three spots available and seven drivers vying for those limited positions, you can expect some aggressive racing this weekend as it is the last chance for them to keep their championship hopes alive. Mention Kyle Larson, the only one to have already clinched a spot into that four-driver field. Now, the others, if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, drivers could clinch by being ahead of the fourth winless driver in the standings. And the same points requirements uh, would be true if a new win comes from along Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, or Kyle Busch. To start with Chase Elliott, he would clinch with 20 points, 22 if it's Kyle Busch that wins. Denny Hamlin would need 23 points, or 24 if it's Kyle Busch that wins. Kyle Busch needs uh, 54 points. Ryan Blaney could clinch with 55 points. Uh, He didn't need a little help if Kyle Busch is the winner. Martin Truex in the same boat, 55 points, but need help if Kyle Busch is the winner. Now, Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano, they can only clinch with help. Now, if there's a new winner from Ryan Blaney or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, drivers would clinch uh, ahead of the third winless driver in the standings. So that narrows it down. Chase Elliott would clinch with 22 points, Danny Hamlin with 25, and that would leave Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex, Brad Keselowski, needing help. Any one of the drivers still have that opportunity to guarantee a race, race, uh, racing for the championship at Phoenix if they pick up the win. And uh, I wish we had the stats on how many wins they have combined between these drivers because there's a lot of them. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Kyle Larson can make it three in a row and make it even harder for those guys to move up because then everybody can only move up based on their points. So uh, as we transition over to Hot Topic Sound Off, uh, Jay, do you want to give a quick rundown on our fantasy points for anybody who didn't catch it on Monday night show? All right. Let me pull those up real quick. I know uh, we got some tight battles of our own going on here for the fantasy uh, fantasy points as well. Let's start with the truck series. They've been off for a little while, so we've been sitting on uh, weight on that one, but Mike leads the standings with 101 points. Andy and I are at 99. Sharon is at 98. Sam is at 92. Owen, 75, Tommy, 70, and James, 66. Uh, James, the only one to be eliminated so far. Tommy's on the edge, one point from elimination, and Owen, six points from being eliminated. So we'll see what happens there this weekend. The Xfinity Series, this one's been tight all year as well. Uh, I currently lead at 154 points. Andy's right there with me at 150 Mike and Sam are tied at 137. Tommy has 117. Sharon, 115. James, 109. And Owen, 103. Now here, Sam, as far down as Sam and Mike, uh, Tommy, Sharon, James, and Owen have been mathematically eliminated uh, at this point. Sam and Mike are 15 
points from elimination, but they're also only 17 points from the lead. So this weekend I'll swing that way, and we'll see who goes to Phoenix vying for that championship. Uh, The Cup Series. This one got extremely tight. Owen currently leads at 187. Uh, Sharon and myself are tied at 185. Mike is right there at 184. Sam at 176. James 161. Tommy 141. And Andy at 94. Now this one, we have had two eliminations now. Tommy and Andy are no longer mathematically eligible. James is on the verge at plus six. Uh, he's got to keep uh, keep that up. Sam is 21 points uh, to the good so far, and he is, again, only then 11 points from actually the points lead, so right in that bubble. And that puts the overall. Uh, I had a margin at one time. It's not much anymore. The overall, I got 438. Mike is at 422, Sam at 405, Sharon is at 398, Owen 365, Andy 343, James 336, and Tommy 328. In this one, it is James and Tommy are mathematically eliminated. Andy is one point from uh, being eliminated, Owen 23, and Sharon 40, and With that, Sharon, 40 from being eliminated, 42 from the points lead. And we got 16 points per race this weekend, so uh, 48 available this weekend alone. And we're down to our final 96 for the year. Okay. Uh, Sorry, I was a little distracted there. Uh, We are now at the uh, past the half hour, and it's just time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, uh, and we have a couple of our crew members here to help us out with that. We'll start off with Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Two shows in a row. Big hey to everybody. All right, and also joining us is Tommy Kraft, our fan at the track for Talladega Super Speedway. Hey, thanks for having me back. How are y'all tonight? We're doing great. Uh, and uh, definitely looking forward to our hot topic sound off here tonight. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with that. And uh, Tommy, let's have you go ahead and start us off with the first topic. All right, let's go with um, uh, let's go with um, the Arkham Menard series schedule just being released. Okay, uh, Mike, do you want to be the first to comment on that? Sure. I'm not going to, I'm going to be honest. I don't follow ARCA particularly closely, so I'm sure uh, 
Jay and Sharon, I know you guys follow that series a lot more closely, so I'm sure you'll have more to say on it than uh, than I do. Overall, I didn't see any standouts as, as big shockers. Uh, a lot more paired up with uh, some of the other national series. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, about how NASCAR was trying to align race weekends where you're going to have multiple touring series, if not all of them at the same track at the same weekend, at least more than one. And we see that at places like Daytona, Talladega, Phoenix, and others, where you have the Arkham series there paired with either a NASCAR Cup Series race or one of the lower tier series. Uh, so fans get a little bit more for their money if they're making a weekend out of it, and that's really good to see. I uh, also saw Iowa's on the schedule for next year. I know we've talked about Iowa Speedway. It's really good to see them uh, have a date with the Arkham Menard series. Hopefully that keeps the toe in the door, and hopefully we see Iowa back in the schedule with one of the big three major touring series here in the next year or two as those schedules come to fruition next year. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, first I'm going to kind of give a highlight here from the Arkham Menard series homepage where they talked about this. Mike hit on it. They do have multiple races, uh, the World Center Raceway or Gateway, the Daytona 500, or I'm sorry, the World Center Racing Daytona 500. They'll have a race there that weekend. And then Talladega, Kansas twice, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Pocono Raceway in Michigan where they're running in conjunction with either the NASCAR Cup Series, Xfinity, and or Truck Series. But the short tracks uh, make up the backbone of this Arkham Menard Series schedule. You have the traditional races at Minnesota's Elko Speedway, Michigan's Berlin Raceway, mentioned Iowa Speedway, Bristol Motor Speedway, Indiana's Salem Speedway, and Toledo Speedway. And there's also a pair of one-mile paved ovals with Phoenix Raceway and the Milwaukee Mile. A couple other highlights, Indiana's a uh, return to Indiana's Lucas Oil Raceway, which I think is huge. I'll throw that in there. And then you have the pair of one-mile dirt tracks, the Illinois State Fairgrounds and the DeCoin State Fairgrounds. We also have a pair of road courses, Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, and uh, the second will be at Watkins Glen International. I think this is a, a key point to me. The series' 108th visit to the High Bank Salem Speedway in late September. Salem has hosted more Arkham Menard series than any other venue. And the last thing I think I wanted to highlight that I think was a change, obviously, but Toledo Speedway is going to be hosting the series championship event for the first time since 2011. I think that's a great thing, being that it is one of the uh, backbone tracks uh, we kind of talked about, and I think a great t- a great place to settle a championship like the Arkham Menard Series. Okay. Uh, another thing that I thought uh, was kind of cool on here is uh, that Fox Sports and Map TV will broadcast live all of the 20 races, so uh, that did not hold true for this season, uh, but they will put out the broadcast schedule uh, and start times at a later date. Also, uh, the the races that comprise the Sioux Chief Showdown are going to be announced later. Uh, within, that's the race within the race, if you will, for a championship uh, within the Arkham Menard Series. There's 20 races that make up the Arkham Menard Series schedule. Ten of those races are Sioux Chief Showdown races. Um, 
So uh, it's, a, it's a variety of tracks, including short tracks, road courses, all, all to be announced later. Uh, also, the Arkham Knight Series East and West schedules will be coming out later as well. Uh, but, yeah, Toledo being the finale, that's huge. Uh, it's, it's, uh, they, this year their uh, finale uh, has been, in, for the last several years, it's been at Kansas. But uh, it sounds like they're doing that chase. Well, what do they call it? They're calling it the uh, sprint to the championship. They're kicking off the sprint to the championship with three short tracks, Bristol, Salem, and Toledo. I love that idea. Uh, and uh, those races uh, will wind up the season at Toledo, Ohio, uh, for the season finale. So that's a kind of a big change. Uh, for them not to be at Kansas for their uh, wrap-up. Now, they they did say that short tracks are kind of the backbone, if you will, but one of the reasons a lot of drivers race the Arkham Menard Series is because they do ra- also race at tracks like, Cal- like Daytona and uh, uh, Michigan International Speedway. What is missing from here, though, is Talladega. Uh, they are not racing at Talladega, so uh, that's that's kind of interesting. But they are going to be racing at Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh, and there are two races at Kansas: one in May and one in uh, September. So uh, even though they don't have the season, oh yes, there is Talladega on here. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um, but two races for Kansas this year. And Phoenix comes uh, as the second race of the season. So those are, I I love the changes. And like you say, the companion races uh, with some of the uh, uh, NASCAR top three, I think is always, uh, that always makes it fun. I just uh, wish that some, one of those top three would also be at Iowa Speedway. So Tommy, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I'm kind of like Mike. I don't really follow the ARCA series as closely as I do Truck, um, Xfinity, and Cup. But um, I did notice Berlin Raceway, and a bunch of these tracks uh, I haven't really heard of because I don't really watch much racing outside of the tracks that NASCAR goes to. But Berlin Raceway was brought up a lot with the SRX, um, as a track that they should go to next year. And um, a track that I, I did watch one ARCA race this year, and it was that Winchester race. And I don't see that track listed unless if that's just the nickname of it, and I'm missing it on here. Um, but Or is that a different schedule? Because isn't there like an ARCA Menards East and West? And, um, and then uh-huh. there's what we're looking at. But either way, there's I, a lower I tier in ARCA too, yeah. Okay, but um, yeah, I did like seeing Iowa, uh, Berlin. I'm gonna have to watch that one because, uh, like I said, I saw all, that all over Twitter for SRX uh, wanting to go there. Um, never heard of Elko Speedway, so that would be another one I'm interested in. Uh, I do remember Mid Ohio, uh, Lucas Oil. That one is also cool as well because I do I actually do remember that track. And the, the Milwaukee Mile, I do remember that one, too. I feel like NASCAR or Truck or uh, Xfinity or something did go to those two tracks. Um, Salem and Toledo, I do know that the ARCA series 
uh, usually ends their season at Toledo. So I have heard of that track as well. And then uh, uh, the dirt, I didn't realize that they were doing that with those fairground races. So I think that's really cool as well. And um, Salem Speedway, I'm I'm not familiar with that. So I would like to check that one out as well. And I remember earlier this year we were talking on the podcast about how, or maybe it was a couple months ago now, how what if they did away with truck and they did Arca, Bush, and um, Cup for the weekend instead of, uh, you know, having the truck series in there like they used to do in the 80s and 90s before the truck series got there. But this schedule does have a bunch of the, where it'll be four races with ARCA truck, Xfinity and Cup, and I think that's a good thing, especially at, like, Daytona and Talladega, because Daytona's got all those speed speed weeks and stuff. But, yeah, I'm excited for the schedule. I'll have to check out some ARCA series races, because I've never heard of these tracks, and I'd like to see some of them, especially if they're short tracks. Okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up? It's interesting. Yeah, ARCA's in kind of a weird spot. Um, on one hand, you've got the, the move to pair them up with the major three national touring series, the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series. And that is to try and give fans better value for a race weekend, kind of addressing that, uh, the topic that we talked about on Monday regarding race attendance compared to Formula One and trying to give fans more of an experience and a reason to want to come to the racetrack. So that's kind of one angle that ARC is working. But the other angle is they are a major national touring NASCAR-affiliated series, and it's a lot more flexible than something like, the, especially the Cup Series, where NASCAR can take their presence via the ARCA Series and put it at some of the smaller raceways, uh, you know, Lucas Oil, Elko, things like that, that the Cup Series and the, and the, the other big three series are most likely not going to go to those racetracks. So ARCA is it's kind of in a weird spot where it serves to complement the big series, but at the same time it's almost like a, I don't know, an ambassador series for the sport as a whole to get into some of these smaller markets that NASCAR can't send some of their bigger series that have a bigger logistical footprint. So I think this kind of strikes that balance pretty well, uh, and we'll have to see which, which one bears more fruit for them, if they get more interest from the, the small markets or if they get more attendance at the bigger markets when it's used as complementary to the, uh, the bigger series. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, the one the one thing I look at, and I know we've talked about this, this series has kind of done it. Of the 20 races, they only do Kansas Speedway twice. That's 19 different tracks over 18, or 19 different tracks over the 20 race schedule. And especially for fans that say they want short track racing, you got it here. Uh, we mentioned several of them. Uh, if you haven't seen them, I'll throw Elko Speedway out there first, uh, being from Minnesota. <laughs> but there are several others. Lucas Oil Speedway, Berlin Speedway. Yeah, there's a reason these are the tracks that the SRX series is looking at because they are popular short tracks throughout the entire country. So I think that the Arkham Menard series has done a great job with their schedule this year. Uh, really looking forward to it. And if we don't see a dominating season like we had from Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim this year, it provides that mixture of tracks. I think Sharon hit on it. Uh, It introduces some of these drivers that come from the East Series or West Series 
or into it, they get their first taste of mile, mile and a half, and then super speedway racing. Yes, indeed. And I didn't mention it earlier, but uh, I am really happy to see the Milwaukee Mile back on the schedule. I've always been a fan of having the Milwaukee Mile on the schedule. It wasn't there for a while, so the fact that they're they're continuing with that, I think, is really, really good. Um, uh, I think, uh, 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 Tommy, you said that... uh, they typically have their season finale at Toledo. Actually, they typically have it at Kansas. So Toledo is kind of a change to the schedule this year uh, with those three short tracks at the end of the season. Uh, Salem Speedway is kind of the the um, premier track of the Arkham Menard series, and that's in Salem, Indiana. That's where they pretty much started, and as they mentioned in this article, uh, that's where the most, 108 races at at Salem Speedway is the most of any um, of any of the tracks on the schedule. So uh, that is kind of the staple of the Arkham and Art Series. Um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying about it being an ambassador for kind of the grassroots racing, and, and that's a really good point. Uh, Arkham Menard started as a Midwest series. When NASCAR took over the series, they picked up on, uh, on uh, having Phoenix on that schedule. And, uh, you know, I think that's... Uh, um, good. It, it brings the Arca Menard series along with the Arca West to the West Coast. Uh, the Arca East covers mainly East Coast uh, uh, tracks. But one thing that I love about this series is you've got drivers from the East racing in the West. You've got drivers from the West racing in the East. And uh, we never, we, we didn't really do it as much. It's only in the recent years uh, I think Bill McAnally kind of started that trend with uh, bringing some of those West drivers over to the East to kind of race. And now it just seems like they're doing a lot more of that. And the Phoenix Raceway, uh, Jay and I covered it earlier, Phoenix Raceway, 36 drivers on that entry list, and a lot of them are Arkham Menard Series drivers and Arca East drivers that are going to the West for that season finale. Uh, so we're seeing it a lot more uh, in, in more recent years here. And uh, I think that's a good thing uh, because it does bring the Arkham Art Series beyond that Midwest boundaries, if you will, uh, especially when they go to Phoenix. Uh, and, but there's, you know, the West races at Las Vegas and uh, Sonoma and all kinds of tracks on the West Coast. So anyway, I I, I think the schedule is great. Um, I like the road courses on here with Watkins Glen. Uh, I've seen them race at VIR before. I wish they'd bring VIR back. I love that track. Um, but Watkins Glen was, was just fine as well. But uh, I, I think the schedule is great, and I'm looking forward to the season next year. So, Tommy, your thoughts? Well, I'm definitely going to have to check out the Berlin and um, Elka Speedway 
And I'm always a fan of them going back to tracks like Milwaukee Mile, Lucas Oil, and tracks like that. Like as, When I say that, I mean like NASCAR returning to tracks that they used to go to. I know we're talking about the Arca Series, but it's still a track that they used to race that. And I was thinking of, you know, Winchester that they did, and we were talking about Berlin and SRX and Elko and everything. <laughs> Slinger Speedway was probably my favorite of the SRX races this year. And yeah. um, ARCA, I don't know if they've ever been there, but that short track was awesome. And um, Winchester was a good race. I do remember watching that uh, in the ARCA series, so I was interested in it. Um, I don't know what I was thinking with Toledo and Kansas. I had that mixed up. But um, I do know that they go to Toledo because I feel like I may have seen one of those races last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I will miss Ty Gibbs in the ARCA series uh, because for the last two years, he's kind of been the only one that I was paying attention to. And, well, and Corey Heim this year because he's been doing good. That JBL speaker car. Um, (laughs) He's – but – we did bring what I meant to go there was when we brought that up a couple months ago, we were saying, should ARCA just replace truck because is there more value in the ARCA series versus the truck series? Um, with all these different tracks and everything, I think that is cool. But then again, the truck series and Xfinity series also get a different tracks that NASCAR doesn't go to. But uh, I mean, it's always been that way from what I can remember from when I started watching, but I do like the different tracks that they go to, so I'll definitely have to check some of them out. And I think Berlin is the main one I've got circled just because of everything that they were talking about. All right, Mike, do you want to bring up our next topic? Well, I'm really surprised that Tommy didn't jump on this one since he had first pick, but his boy... Dale Earnhardt Jr. announced that he's going to run the Spring Martinsville race next year. Uh, Ever since he retired at the end of the 2017 season, he's run the Fall Richmond race in the Xfinity Series. Uh, But this year he's changed – well, I guess next year he's changing it up. He's going to run the number 88 JRM Chevrolet in the Spring Martinsville race in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Do I I get to be the negative one who brings – the badness towards myself on this one. I know he's doing it one race a year. It doesn't matter to me where it is. Uh, I know he's doing it for his reasons and it's good. I don't, it's not that I mind seeing him in the sport. However, if he's running 20th or 30th, I don't care if he's up there running, battling for the win, more power to him. I'd love to see it, but uh, I'm just, the the hype that goes with it, and, and this goes back to even when he was racing, we've seen it when it comes to other ones, and, and I'll say Danica Patrick. If they're running 30th laps down, I don't care. So not that Junior has been, but they talked more in the race I watched this year that he was in, more about him and where he was running than they did some of the front-running teams, and I don't like that. And I don't think that's Junior's in, intent. That is obviously the – coverage the broadcast that chooses to do that but i think they need to adjust that is that race although it be is only one race for the year is not all about him okay uh tommy your thoughts 
I really, well, I'm glad he's running Martinsville again. Um, I'm sure he'll be competitive there. I mean, Josh Berry won there this year in their equipment. So, but I mean, I would put probably more money on Josh Berry winning versus over Earnhardt Jr. But he was close to winning it at Richmond a couple years ago when he did it. I think Christopher Bell ended up winning that race in junior, finished second. But I think his best chance is at Daytona or Talladega, and before it's all said and done, and he, because right now he says, according to his podcast, he does it to just scratch the itch. Uh, so once a year, but I would really like him to do like a farewell tour in the Xfinity Series, I guess, and run Daytona, Talladega, Bristol, you know, or definitely Daytona and Dega because. He's always a threat to win there, and it would be really cool to see if RCR would let him run uh, the three-car one more time because he did do it a few years ago in, like, a Wrangler Stephen Xfinity Series, and I believe he won the race. Um, but I always like seeing him return. Jeff Gordon is still my um, favorite. I'm still waiting for him to do that truck series race because I saw that a few years back. I feel like that he won't, he was going to do a truck race at Martinsville or something, but he still hasn't done it, so I'm still holding out for that. Um, but I always like it when some of the recently retired, I guess, older drivers that you would call them now come out of retirement and race. And I do get what Jay is saying about how when he races, they kind of focus on him, but it's just so hard not to do. I mean, Earnhardt and Earnhardt Jr., they're just the names of the sport, so um, that's going to happen. But yeah, excited to see him back, and I really hope he gets another grandfather clock because I want to hear him say uh, that he's going to drink a lot of beer again. <laughs> yeah, I happen to have read Dale Jr.'s book from several years back, and I know he said then – and I'm thinking that it's still true. Uh, Martinsville is one of his favorite tracks. And, again, it's one of those tracks in NASCAR uh, that has been on their schedule uh, since they started. So I think that's really cool that he chooses Martinsville uh, to be the track that he scratches that itch. Um, uh, it would be cool if they did an exhibition race with some of the retired drivers, but in a way, that's kind of what the SRX is. Uh, but it would be cool to see them do that in, in NASCAR as well. But uh, uh, I, I like seeing Dale Jr. back. I agree with Jay that maybe they focus on him a little bit too much. I understand why they do it, uh, but I like to know what's going on in the in the rest of the race. Uh, so if they can kind of temper that a little bit, uh, that would be great. Uh, but I think Tommy's right too. Dale Earnhardt is, is kind of the name in NASCAR. And so anytime he's going to be in a race, it's going to be an event. So, uh, I think there's already a contest or something about to design his uh, paint scheme or something. Uh, they're doing some kind of a big, uh, deal, um, to help design his car, I guess. So um, they are making it an event. Uh, it's part of what we've been saying is they need to do more promotion for tracks. Uh, this is one way of doing that. And uh, I think uh, Dale Jr. is a great ambassador for the sport. So why not? Mike, your thoughts? 
Well, there's a couple things to unpack here. First, uh, to Jay's point, I don't disagree with him. Um, but like you said, there's a marketing end to it, and there are benefits to be had. Uh, something to consider, though, with it being the Spring Martinsville race versus the Richmond race that he's been running. Richmond is in the NBC broadcast block of races, basically the midsummer and onward. NBC has the broadcast schedule, but this Spring Martinsville race is going to be during Fox. So the past few years, NBC has relied on their employee, namely Dale Earnhardt Jr., to serve as an in-race reporter. And I don't know what sort of broadcast rights or uh, intellectual property or, or whatever contractual things are associated with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and how Fox Sports can interact with a guy who, from the broadcast perspective, is an employee of NBC. So we may end up seeing less of Dale Earnhardt Jr. on that Fox broadcast just by virtue that he is property of the national broadcast company, and, uh, and Fox can't rely on him as heavily as uh, NBC did. Now, with regard to the promotion and how he's going to do in the race, eh, I agree with Jay. I don't think he's going to be a huge threat. Don't expect me to pick him in the fantasy lineup. He was never wonderful at Martinsville when he was an active driver. Yes, I understand he won the race in 2014, but that was kind of a standout. He was always okay, not wonderful at Martinsville, so I don't expect him to be any kind of a threat there. Um, but to our point that we've talked about more, uh, I think we touched on it Monday and extensively before, it's always good to have broadcast guys get in the car from time to time and get recurrent on what's going on out on the racetrack. I think that's probably the best experience that you can put a guy into to keep them relevant and being able to have the best product that they can present to the viewers when they're sitting up in the booth and talking about what they're seeing on the racetrack. That's why both broadcast teams, especially Fox, rely so heavily on current cup drivers to sit in the booth during the Xfinity and Truck Series broadcast because it really adds value to that broadcast by having a current driver who knows exactly what's going on on the racetrack. And if that driver's unavailable, like for the cup race, obviously those guys are going to be in the car so they can't be in the booth. The next best thing is to keep your in-booth reporters current on driving race cars. And I think that's a great benefit of having Dale Earnhardt Jr. down there in the race car, at least for one race a year, is it keeps the head in the game and it provides a better product to us, the viewers, when he's up in the broadcast booth. That's a, I, I want to make that clear. I am not opposed to him doing it, and I am not opposed to him getting uh, coverage. When you're talking about the promotion, that can be done pre-race. I understand from the television coverage side, obviously, to draw viewers in, they need to throughout the race, just not as heavily. And I will say this. It doesn't matter that it's Dale Earnhardt Jr. As big a Gordon fan as I am, that goes back to the same thing. If he's not running well, I want to watch the rest of the race. And, uh, you know, I've given up on him winning the race, what's happening in the race, which is my, my next move or, or interest. So I just think they need to balance it. There are some great things to it. And Mike mentioned, I don't think it would even be an issue between Fox and NBC. Again, what, during the, that part of the season, he is not an NBC coverage or whatever. So, uh, if they're going to get an in-race reporter, it doesn't matter. He's a driver, whoever they assign as whatever driver. They don't necessarily have to be a Fox employee. So I wouldn't see that as an issue. And there are some great benefits, like Mike mentioned. We talked about that with the next-gen car test as well, of having that hands-on, on-track experience as they get to especially talking about this next-gen car versus somebody that's only looked at it or 
seen it on track or talked to other drivers, they have that firsthand knowledge. So I do like it, and, and I do like the fact that he has changed his venue. Uh, you mentioned it's, it's been at Richmond for, for several years that I can remember anyway. So I do like that he's changed the venue as to where he's making that start. Okay. I don't really have a whole lot to add. Uh, so, Mike, I'm going to let you have the last word here. Well, kind of like you said, nothing nothing more to add. We've talked about it. I expect we're going to talk about it some more as this get, uh, comes up. Um, there's going to be promotions and contests and, and, like Jay said, pick the paint scheme and all that. So uh, this isn't the last we've talked about Dale Earnhardt Jr., so uh, we'll save it for next time. Okay. Uh, so, Jay, that brings us up to you to bring us to the next topic. All right. Well, I got this one brought to my attention uh, by Amanda. As a Ford fan, Jake Garcia joining the Ford Development Program with DGR and making his first start with the Arkham Menards West Series at that start or at that race in Phoenix we, we talked about. Okay, uh, Tommy, your thoughts. Uh, I'm not too familiar with who Jake Garcia is. Um, I do know who DGR is, David Gilwin. They've got Haley Deegan right now and Todd Gilwin. Uh, wow, he's only 16 years old. Um, he's in the pro super late models across the region. Yeah, I'm just not familiar with him. But uh, so it looks like Ford's got somebody else in the pipeline now, though, as a developmental uh, driver. So that's uh, that's that's pretty good for them. Um, I don't really keep up like keep up with the Arca series and and who they're scouting. I should probably start doing that just to figure out who the up and coming stars are. Cause I've already seen one this year in Ty Gibbs. I feel like. And Corey Heim, he kind of looks like he's going to be uh, on the way up, too. So uh, I need to pay more attention. And uh, Haley Deegan, uh, I know that she did well a few years ago in the Arca Menard series. And uh, um, maybe once you guys talk, I'll have more to say about Jake Garcia. But right now, I don't don't really know what to say because I'm not familiar with him. Okay, Mike. I'm kind of with Tommy. I'm not super familiar on Jake Garcia. I will wish him well. I hope he does extremely well. Uh, the Arkham Menard series has been very thin lately. There's been a couple haves and a lot of have-nots in that series. So I really hope that this is the start of another competitive car, and uh, we see more competitive racing in the Arkham Menard series. Um, nothing against Ty Gibbs, but he's really been stinking up the show this year in that series. So it'd be, it'd be nice to see a couple more guys get an opportunity with some good equipment to, to hopefully get a few more wins. Garcia is uh, really uh, raced in the super and pro late model driver program, uh, mainly with the 2021 Southern Super Series. Um, and he's done quite well. He's been a little bit of a sensation in the Snowball Derby. Uh, in his first ever attempt, he finished second uh, to become the youngest driver to ever earn a podium finish in that event. Uh, if you're familiar with the Snowball Derby, it's uh, really a, a, a premier uh, event that attracts uh, drivers from all over the country. Uh, 
So he progressed to super late models last year and finished second overall uh, to garner the Rookie of the Year honors, uh, in addition to a pair of, um, to a trio of pro late model victories at uh, Montgomery Motor Speedway. Uh, It sounds like he's also raced uh, the weekly touring series. Uh, He's just had really an amazing success. Uh, this year, through 32 races, he has six wins, 17 top fives, 24 top tens between both classes of the late models, uh, clinching the F, that's the Southern Super Series Championship. He also collected the Deep South Cranes Blizzard Series Championship as the Super Late Model Track Champion at Five Flags. So, yeah, it just sounds like he's had a phenomenal year. Uh, in racing late models uh, and super late models and pro late models. And uh, now he's progressing uh, to the ARCA uh, Menard Series. And uh, he's making his debut at uh, DGR. So I think that's fantastic. We're going to see him racing at Phoenix Raceway. As I mentioned, there's drivers on the entry list. Jake is one of those drivers, and I think he's one to keep your eye on uh, with that debut with DGR. So, uh, Jay, your thoughts? Well, here's here's where I know it was on a, on a different topic, but you talk about bringing the, the next generation of fans or new fans to this NASCAR Top 3 mm-hmm. Series. You're starting out, you're talking about short tracks. You're talking about a driver like Jake Garcia. And it's a great pairing, I think, a great uh, setup for Ford, DGR, Crosley, as well as Jake Garcia himself. But this is where it comes in. Uh, Amanda is not necessarily an asphalt fan or a top NASCAR-level fan, but we went to, what was it, Huntsville Speedway, Montgomery Speedway, and then uh, Five Flags for the Snowball Derby. As we've talked about these on the show, Chandler Smith, Ty Majeski. And now Jake Garcia, she's saying, hey, these are drivers I know. These are drivers I've seen, uh, you know, come a truck series. She knows Grant Enfinger. He's from Alabama. That's how you draw that next group of fans in. This is where that fan base is being built and following drivers, or in this case, a manufacturer. Obviously, she was very happy with it being with a Ford team. So, but yeah, he is one that we got to talk to. Uh, Sharon, I don't remember what year it was. It wasn't for the Snowball Derby, but I covered one of the races at Five Flags Speedways. Yeah, I got to talk to Corey Heim. I got to talk to Ty Gibbs. That was when they were first getting mentioned, you know. Uh, now mm-hmm. they're dominating in the ARCA series. So to me, that is that is where the highlight is, and I think NASCAR does need to do a, more with what they've done. And you mentioned it, with what we've seen in the Arkham Menard Series umbrella, the now East and West under NASCAR Arkham Menard Series. We're getting that, and I think you're going to see that expand throughout uh, all fans. Is they're going to say, hey, everybody knows who this guy is when he gets to the Truck Series or the Xfinity Series. What are we missing? You know, uh, Tommy talked about watching that Winchester race. What are you missing by not following the Arkham Menard Series? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Tommy, your thoughts? I uh, just glad to see that he's getting an opportunity and glad to see that Ford's got uh, somebody that they want to develop um, other than Chase Briscoe, Cole Custer, and Haley Deegan, and who else does Ford have in the pipeline? Riley Earps. So, um, 
glad to see someone else being added to that list. And uh, I do need to start catching some more ARCA races. Uh, we'll have to look at Berlin and um, figure out who some of these next-generation guys are going to be in uh, the truck Xfinity and then at the cup level. Yes, indeed. Um, Mike? Nothing really to add. Tommy does bring up a really good point, though, about the Ford pipeline. Uh, out of the three major manufacturers in NASCAR, I would say Ford has probably had the thinnest pipeline, especially lately. Uh, yes, we did get uh, Chase Briscoe and Cole Custer to come out of there, but once you get back beyond that, I don't think Riley Herbst has a future in the NASCAR Cup Series unless he has a major turnaround. And it's not like there's a lot of Ford guys sitting in the truck series also who are just uh, moving up at an Eric Jones, William Byron type pace either. So hopefully this is the start of a, a pipeline rise through the Ford ranks uh, because there are some Ford drivers who are getting on the older side. You've got Kevin Harvick. Uh, Ryan Newman's obviously stepping away in favor of Brad Keselowski. But in four or five years, well, now you've got Joey Logano is going to be in his mid-30s. Uh, not that I really expect him to retire then, but the point is the, the guys in the Cup Series aren't getting any younger, and from a 16-year-old, you're looking at a lead time of six to eight years or more uh, before they're ready for the NASCAR Cup Series. So that could, uh, that could easily put the, a current Ford driving Cup Series driver at the point where they're at an age where they want to step away. So Ford really does need to work on getting a good pipeline going and getting their next generation of Cup stars and getting them ready to go, and hopefully this is a step in that direction. Well, we've been doing this at Bamford Racing for several years now. Drivers like Kyle Larson came through what used to be known as the K&N Pro Series. Joey Logano came in through the uh, K&N Pro Series. Uh, he made a name when he uh, won at Sonoma Raceway. Or was it Sonoma or was it Fontana? I forget now. One of those race checks, I think it was Fontana, uh, where he uh, won and uh, uh, made a name for himself. And this is where we get to know the heat drivers before they even get to the NASCAR Cup Series or Truck Series or Xfinity Series. Uh, Eric Jones beat Kyle Busch at the Snowball Derby, and that's how he got noticed. Kyle Busch Motorsports hired him after that uh, because they were impressed with his talent. Um, and, you know, drivers like Daniel Suarez, uh, came up through these series. Uh, and and we're watching drivers now, Ty Gibbs coming up through this series. Uh, Justin Algauer came up through this series. Uh, all of, A lot of these drivers that you're seeing in the uh, NASCAR's top three came up through the Arca Menard series or the uh, old K&N Pro series, uh, the East and West. So I really think that this is uh, uh, really good news. This is telling us that Jake Garcia could be the next skin-on driver that's coming up through the ranks uh, at just 16 years of age and the success that he's had in this late model series. So I'm excited uh, that he's going to be racing at uh, Phoenix Raceway. It's going to be a uh, big field 
for the Arco West season finale. Uh, they've got a lot on the line. That is probably the tightest series of all through all of NASCAR, all of the Arca series uh, for the championship this year. So it was already exciting. The fact that they've got all of these other drivers coming in from all over the country uh, to race in that season finale uh, is just a whole different dynamic to their season finale uh, with it being as tight as it is. And Jay and I talked about that earlier in the show. So this is exciting news. Uh, David Gilliland Racing has done a lot to uh, develop drivers in the Arkham Menard Series and uh, both the East and the and the West. They, he comes from the West. David Gilliland came up through uh, the Arkham Menard Series and the Canon Pro Series. Uh, I think they have three generations with which uh, Gilliland also uh, being a big driver uh, out there in the West. So... Yeah, I mean, this is this is the grassroots racing that everybody says that they want. Uh, it's right here in the Arkham and Art Series, the East and the West, and the Sioux Chief Showdown. So if you haven't checked it out yet, definitely uh, Phoenix is a great race to start. Jay? Well, Sharon, once again, you, you, you took a bullet point from me there. I was talking about from the fan perspective, but you mentioned it of drivers getting noticed by other drivers and by team owners uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So you hit that pretty good. I'll go back to the to the fan thing. I think at uh, Memphis Speedway, uh, Sharon, again, you gave me the opportunity to cover it for Fan for Racing, and, and I thank you for that. Uh, any, any fan that came up and wanted to talk to Todd Gillen, Harrison Burton, at, at that time were battling it out for the uh, championship. They got to talk with them. I mean, for five minutes apiece, you know, or 10 minutes, I had luncheon with them. I know Todd Gillen was there. Jeff Burton hosted it. That's where, you know, understanding what what it is at the NASCAR's top level at the Cup Series, these drivers have a lot of sponsor commitments, and at at that level, it's really tough. But when you get, get to meet them and see as they progress, to be able to sit with them, like I said, for a luncheon. I don't remember what the what the additional cost for that was. Be out on the track in Victory Lane and talk to them after they just won a race. You know, get your picture taken with them. That's what makes you a lifetime fan of them, and then it becomes part of the series as they move up. I think about how many people got to talk to Harrison Burton there at Memphis uh, of are now watching him at the Cup Series level just because of that alone. You know, they might not have been a big NASCAR fan. The event came to Memphis. They went and attended. They got hooked on it. So I think that's a huge thing. I'd like to see more of it at the cup level, but I also understand, like I said, with sponsor commitments, how busy they stay on a race weekend, it's just not as possible. So take the opportunity to meet them uh, at, at tracks like this, races like this. I think that's just a huge thing for the sport. Absolutely. Okay, uh, Tommy, it's your turn for the next topic. All right, let's go with um, how Matt Kenseth is brought up every year before the Martinsville race in the fall. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't catch all of that. What was it? Let's go with how NASCAR brings up Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano every year before the NASCAR oh. or the Martinsville fall race. Okay, got it. Uh, okay, so Mike, 
your thoughts? This is kind of tough. You know, the incident that, that, that Tommy's referencing was uh, from the 2015 Fall Martinsville race when Matt Kenseth took out Joey Logano when Logano was leading the race and Kenseth had previously wrecked. Uh, NASCAR suspended Kenseth for the next two races that season, uh, which Martinsville was the, I want to say, third or fourth. I think it was the first first race in the last or the round at eight in the playoffs. So you had the two races left in that round, and then uh, Matt Kenseth came back for the last race, which was at Miami that year. So by doing that, NASCAR said that Matt Kenseth's actions on the racetrack and taking out Joey Logano were completely unacceptable. They did not fit with what the sport wanted to see. And that was a fairly clear message, or at least it should have been. But then every single year since, in the week leading up to this fall Martinsville race, it's on a constant loop. NASCAR's Twitter page, Facebook page, every social media page from NASCAR and NBC are continuously sharing that same clip of Kenseth taking out Logano, that same act that the sport said was not allowed, and it, it, it was not something that they wanted to see on the racetrack. Is it in poor taste then to use that to promote the race every single year? And that's kind of the question. So what are your thoughts? You know, my thought, you're going to have to go one way or the other. You know, either say that they were wrong for suspending Matt Kenseth and pay him for those two races that he missed out those few years ago, or go back on the side of this is not what we want to see on our racetrack and stop using it to promote it. I'm of the, the opinion, I think, Using it to promote the race, I think, is beneficial. Like it or not, there's a lot of people out there who are drawn to NASCAR for the wrecks and for the drama. And that's one of the ways that NASCAR can get somebody who doesn't watch the races or at least doesn't watch them religiously enough uh, for anything other than the crashes. Well, if they start watching races for the crashes, maybe then they start following it for the racing and they find a driver or two that they like and they start cheering for. And then they become for lack of a better way to describe it, genuine race fans as opposed to just people tuning in to watch cars run into each other. So I think the benefit outweighs the negative messaging on it. But in the future, if something like this happens, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency in the messaging. Either it's something they don't want to see and we don't see it again, or it's something that NASCAR says, well, we really would prefer you guys didn't do it, but Maybe it's a little much to suspend a guy for two races for something that we're going to then milk dry for the next five years. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. I I think the way they're doing it, I don't see it as a mixed message because they're not advertising that it was an intentional takeout from a previous action uh, or feud going on. Excuse me. They're not putting that up there. They're just showing the action of the track. You could use the same clip of Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott, Martin Truex and Joey Logano. That's action on the track. If they were to specifically have it as, yes, Kenseth took another driver out, then they would be sending that mixed message of, hey, it's okay. But to me, it's also a reminder to the drivers with that specific one of, hey, that crossed the line. Don't forget, racing, rubbing is racing. This was an intentional taking a driver out and you know what we did when that happened. Don't forget it, uh, which I don't think anybody that's a fan would. Second off, if their target is is to new or casual fans just trying to promote the action, they're not going to remember that. And, Mike, you made me feel old because I didn't recall that it was as far back as 2015 <laughs> that it was that long ago. So, um, 
by by not specifically getting into the details of it, we as fans, yes, we know what that was all about, the whole history from the previous uh, race at Kansas, you know, just like right now, anybody that's a regular watcher knows the history of Kevin Harvick and, and Chase Elliott. But five years from now, if they just show that clip of them two battling, it's about the action on the track, the intensity level of a playoff race or, or whatever, which NASCAR is promoting. So, I don't see it as a full mixed message. Yes, I understand a little bit of where if fans are familiar with it, they they could kind of see that. But like I said, to me, NASCAR could also be saying, hey, don't forget, if we feel it's over the line, we will take action. Yeah. Um, you know, NASCAR is a business, and it is an entertainment business. Um, I don't care for that but i like mike i see what they're what they're doing they're uh and like jay too because yeah they're putting it out there uh it's not my favorite thing but uh it is showing some of the action that can take place on the track especially during the playoffs um and we have to face the fact that it, what gets people talking is controversy. And when people start talking about what's happening as, in the NASCAR race over the water cooler at work, uh, that's what's going to get people wanting to tune in uh, so that they know what's going on So um, with, with that race. Uh, I wish there was another answer. I wish there was another way. Uh, but the controversy is what gets people talking, unfortunately. Um, and and that's what does attract more people to come. And so uh, is it fair? Is it right? Uh, I don't really have an answer for that. Um, I do think that they the, that looking at what um, is bringing viewers in, if that's bringing viewers in, uh, to Jay's point, they then they don't really know the whole story unless they talk to somebody to get what the whole story is behind that visual. So um, it, it's an interesting concept, and uh, yeah, people are talking about it. Longtime fans are going to remember exactly what it's about. It's going to bring back to them, and somebody brought up uh, it's going to remind the drivers that you just don't do that because. Uh, you, you could, there, you've got a lot to lose by doing that. Um, and I think back to, to Kyle Bush. I'm glad they don't show this one. Kyle Bush shoving Ron Hornaday during a caution that uh, got him suspended for several races and in trouble with some of his sponsors. Um, so, you know, that those are not the things that really represent our sport well. They are the exceptions and not the rule, thank goodness. Uh, but getting people talking about what's happening in racing is what the whole idea is here. And that's what Kevin Harvick does as a promoter. Um, and that's one of our hot topics, too. But um, Kevin Harvick uh, likes to get people talking. So, And that's what, what that's all about. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Uh, uh, Matt had a flat tire, and that's how he got into Joey. That's how I remember it. <laughs> um, 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 
but I just sat here and I thought about it, and um, it, it it is kind of old that every year before, like Daytona, Talladega, Martinsville, and Bristol, they should they like just overdo the replays of the races you've already seen every year. But then I thought about it again, and they're showing those highlights for a reason because they're the most recent, and they are really good highlights. Like, Matt taking out Joey is going to be something that everybody remembers, and it's attached to Martinsville, and you just have to play that video. And people love it because every when I even watched it today, the first thing I heard after Matt took Joey out was the fans losing it, just the uproar. And even it was uh, Jimmy Johnson's like radio was like, wow, Matt just got so many fans. <laughs> uh, but to make that race even better, Jeff Gordon went on to win his last race, and he went to go on the homestead in the final four. Uh Speaking of Joey, he was just in another good battle like two or three years ago with Truex uh, at the – was it like the first night race at Martinsville or maybe? And then you've got Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin's beef at Martinsville. And then I even feel like a few years – well, Junior's win, that was another big highlight for Martinsville. I mean, Martinsville's a great track. They've been there forever. Uh, from what I can remember, and it's never disappointed to me. I love that short track up there with Bristol. And then another highlight was Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon. Didn't their rivalry start at um, Martinsville on, like, a close place finish, or Jimmy moving Jeff and Jeff moving Jimmy, like, mm-hmm. and battling it out? Like, I, I remember that. So Okay, I'm going to have to interrupt just... you real quick here, Tommy. We're at that time mm-hmm. of the night that I have to make an announcement <laughs> Uh, especially for our first-time listeners. I don't want anybody to be caught off guard uh, because we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. But we will continue our conversation beyond that time, and we will record it, and it will be available as part of our uh, podcast uh, as part of the bonus overtime material. The way you get to hear the rest of the conversation is I'll go out on Twitter when we're done here uh, and let you know that the podcast is available. You can then go to the Blog Talk Radio podcast or uh, player or to the one at fanparacing.com and just two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, and so, again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard and not know how they can hear the rest of that conversation. So that's why we make this announcement, especially for our first-time listeners at this stage of the night. So with that, Tommy, I'm sorry for the interruption. Go ahead and finish up your thought. Uh, I'm just excited for Martinsville. If there's going to be any scores that need to be settled this weekend, uh, it'll be done at this place. Um, and uh, I can't wait. Um, Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick, uh, I saw them close last week at Kansas when they were racing, but they're going to be even closer here, <laughs> bumper to bumper. So. <laughs> Uh, we'll see how that goes, but um, yeah, uh, Joey and Matt—that's going to just always be an all-time highlight. That's not going anywhere, and <laughs> it's still funny to this day to me. And um, I don't—I I mean, I don't know about poor taste, but there is that valid point of they don't want drivers racing like that. Why do they show that highlight every year? But it's such a good highlight. You just. 
it's like I said, it's just attached to Martin. So. Okay, Mike, do you follow up? Well, Tony kind of already uh, hinted at it, but there is one highlight that I love from the 2015 fall Martinsville race, and it's not Matt Kenseth taking out Joey Logano. What I wish they would promote more is that was the magical last win for Jeff Gordon. And that was probably I, – I took a few years' break from the sport. I really got back into it in late 2014, 2015. But I had always grown up a Jeff Gordon fan. And through the entire 2015 season, it was kind of tough because he had such a good 2014 and then came into 2015 and struggled all the way until that Martinsville race at the end of the year. And it was like – it was a relief – it was it, – it felt – I know he had, a, he had a couple more races left, racing for a championship at Homestead, but it, it almost felt like closure on one of the most amazing careers in the history of the sport, seeing Jeff Gordon win there in the dark at Martinsville at the car spotlighted there on the start-finish line. Probably one of the most iconic moments that I can think of, at least since I've been a NASCAR fan. That's my favorite highlight from that 2015 race, not a, a move that got a driver suspended for two races. And the big difference with that versus Joey Logano versus Martin Truex or Chase Elliott versus Denny Hamlin, those are both really good highlights because those are both – uh, racing that happened for position. It wasn't a, a wrecked car taking out the leader. So I, I, that's why I don't think it's a really fair comparison to compare the Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano uh, incident with Logano versus Truex or Elliott versus Hamlin because of the difference between racing for position slash racing for the race win versus just vindictively taking out the leader because you felt like you've been slighted. So that's kind of the, the line on there as far as what, what should be acceptable versus what shouldn't be acceptable. Now, if they want to play it for ratings and try and get the eyes on the screens, I understand it, but that's where the, the water gets muddy is you're going to say something's not acceptable. Well, great. There's other great things from that race to highlight versus – a move that got somebody suspended. Show Instead of just showing how Martinsville's a wreck fest, show how that track provided a magical moment to one of our best drivers and champions the sport's ever had. Okay, Jay. Yeah, Mike's got a point, and again, I, I, I fell, fall into that category as, as a Jeff Gordon fan. NASCAR could do a, a better job of uh, mixing in more things like that you know, historical moment, like mentioned it, it being Jeff Gordon's final victory, uh, some of uh, the number of times, say, Richard Petty has won there, or things like that of a mixture. But you also can't wipe away history. Uh, you know, I think back to talking about Bristol, the rattle your cage move uh, from Dale Earnhardt and Terry Labonte. I mean, that will live on forever, uh, you know, along with that quote. So, there are certain aspects to it you can't just wipe out from history. Now, Tommy, Tommy kind of hit on something about it, it, Matt Kenseth having a flat tire. Maybe that's their, they're promoting the talent of a driver for Matt Kenseth to have a flat tire and only take out one driver. Uh, I thought that was really skillful myself. But it is a part of the history of Martinsville. I, I really was. I was impressed. I mean, he, he affected nobody else. He took out one driver in particular. It happened to be a target, but he did a great job of taking out said one driver. Uh, and it also, to me, like I said, kind of to the drivers, too, of, 
hey, remember what happens here, what it can cost you if you go uh, too aggressive or over the line that NASCAR has to step in. So I think there can be some other subtle things NASCAR is trying to do with it, if you will. So I wouldn't take it away completely. And I know we had this discussion, too, um, when it came to using Ryan Newman's crash when it comes to the Daytona 500, you know, whether or not that should be and that being an accident. The fact that he was okay, it promotes the safety of the vehicles as they are and improvements that have been made. I, yeah, it, may, it might not be my first choice of a clip to use, but there is some value to it as well. So uh, it's a tough line. I understand some fans. And the other thing, though, Mike, you were talking about of showing the, the Jeff Gordon clip, and this is looking at it from the other aspect, and I'll use some words that pertain to another uh, hot topic. You're, if you're putting in the Jeff Gordon final victory segment, that's only going to key into a certain demographic, certain yes. fans. Other new casual fans might not realize that that's him celebrating his last victory. So there again, if there's no backstory with it when they show the clip, they have to then tune in and find out why that clip was shown, thus then bringing them into the fold of being a NASCAR fan. Yeah, Jay, I was thinking along those same lines, uh, you know, showing Jeff Gordon or the Terry Labonte or whatever, uh, only fans that were watching during those eras are going to relate to those highlights. Um, so I would like to see them highlight the current season. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Kyle Larson has nine wins or in the Xfinity series, uh, what somebody like Ty Gibbs is doing uh, this season. You know, can Kyle Larson make it three in a row? Can he sweep the um, the uh, round of eight? Um, you know, there's so many things that could be promoted with the current season uh, to engage people into tuning in. Uh, and, you know, Kyle Larson is on the verge of, uh, you know, making some history uh, with the season that he's having. So why not promote that? Uh, I, I think they would get more mileage out of promoting the current season um, and and the specific drivers that are racing that would engage people to want to tune in. I want to see if Kyle Larson can make it three in a row uh, this weekend at Martinsville uh, four in a row. and sweep this. Well, four in a row, but I'm talking about uh, to sweep the round. But you're right, it would be four in a row for him. Uh, can he make it five in a row when he goes to Phoenix? Uh, I mean, those are the kind of things that should be promoted uh, is the drivers and what they're doing this season uh, and what they can be accomplishing uh, by what they're doing this season. Um, And, you know, you've got drivers like Harvick uh, that is a perennial uh, Final Four driver uh, in the the season, and he might not make it this season. so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other things that they could be doing, and uh, I would rather see them promoting the current season and, and some of the highlights for this season uh, for fans to, and give them a reason to tune in to see what's happening in that next race. Tommy, your, your final thoughts? Uh, so, Kyle Larson talking about going for four in a row. Um, just 
I don't know if it's bad luck or what, uh, how to word it here, but maybe he shouldn't win this weekend because then he can win next weekend and win the championship. And the reason why I say that is because every time it shows who's won four in a row or who's about to win four in a row on NASCAR.com, like it'll show the stats who's won four in a row. Like I know Harry Gant has won four in a row. I feel like Harvick won four in a row last year. Well, that next race, they did not win. And when it was showing that they had three in a row for who had four in a row, that driver did not win that race either. So since we're talking about Larson now doing that, we may have just jinxed him for these next two races and he doesn't end up winning the championship. But but uh, that's, that's just deja vu or whatever in the world I'm thinking. But I don't know. That dude seems unstoppable this year. I think he's going to – if he doesn't win Martinsville, he'll definitely win Phoenix. But if he wins Martinsville – I'm not going to be surprised if he doesn't win Phoenix and loses the championship. Okay. I didn't mean to jinx anybody. Okay, Mike, you get to bring up the next shot topic. Well, we just talked about him, but a guy who will not, absolutely not be racing for a championship in Phoenix in two weeks is Kevin Harvick, and he was on NASCAR Race Hub this week. Uh, he mentioned that him wrecking at the Roval is going to be on the Chase Elliott fan all-time highlight list, but that wasn't the real reason that he was on Race Hub. He was debuting a new sponsor for the number 4-4 that's going to come out next year. Gear Wrench Tools, which has previously been a sponsor on the Chip Ganassi number one, will be moving over to sponsor the number four Stuart Haas board, Kevin Harvick for I want to say four races next year as a primary sponsor. I thought the car looked pretty sharp, even with the goofy move forward number and everything. Okay, uh, Jay, your thoughts. The goofy number move forward aside, there's a lot of other things to talk about when it comes to this sponsorship. Uh, I saw where it talked about him bringing in a new sponsor, but it's really not as it is one that is moving from Chip Ganassi Racing, Kurt Busch, over to Stuart Haas Racing. And, and that's one aspect to it. Uh, kind of another blow, if you will, to Team 2311. Since Kurt Busch is coming over there, they couldn't get the charter that they were planning on it and now have semi-lost a sponsor. I can't say they, they definitely lost it, as a sponsor is obviously free to go where they want to go. But the other thing, and I think it's five races, Mike, uh, per year. I don't remember how many years it will be, but it was implied that it was multiple, and that kind of implies Kevin Harvick is planning on being there multiple as well. And I say kind of implies. Uh, it's not locked into him alone necessarily, but the, the way things are going, we've heard some talk of him possibly retiring, going to the booth. Possibly, I think at one point we heard that he was going to start a, a cup team as well. So uh, I don't think he's done racing, and I certainly don't think he's going to be anytime soon. I think he'd want to go out on top, as we have seen some other drivers, and this would not be the year to uh, follow that up. So I think we're going to see a return to that. Uh, I, I like the fact that, like I said, it's not necessarily a new sponsor, but sponsors uh, trying to find the best benefit uh, for their corporation. We've seen a couple of new ones, but that these they are, they're choosing – and not necessarily the young drivers. They were with Kurt Busch, and maybe they, maybe that's what Kurt Busch is expected to go sooner than later, and they wanted to go with Kevin Harvick or that team going to be there longer term. I don't know. 
But I, it's a good thing. But I, there were so many other stories with it that that kind of tied into it that I was surprised by listening to his interview and doing some reading on it. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? Well, I was kind of surprised to see them leave Kurt Busch. Well, not leave, but share uh, with. Kevin Harvick since he's going to 23XI, but um, it's good for Kevin Harvick, and uh, I like the paint scheme. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the move forward either, um, and the Bush Light logo kind of looked weird where they angled it behind the floor and below all the gear and stuff, but I'm sure they can work that out before next year. But uh, So Harvick has had quite the change. He lost Jimmy John's at his subway, Stole, well, didn't steal it, but sharing with Kurt Busch, and he now still has Bush Light. So um, I'm glad that Harvick is going to be back next year. Um, I wish that, even though I know Newman's not really competitive anymore, um, I would love for him to stay uh, at Roush full time, or maybe he'll take that part time offer, or better yet, go to the Xfinity and Truck Series and do well. And Kurt Busch, don't retire yet. Stay at uh, 23XI for a while. I want all those guys still racing as long as they can. Uh, don't retire yet. But um, good for Kevin Harvick with that new sponsor, and uh, that paint scheme did look good. Uh, just interesting, though, uh, I think Jay might be onto something there. You know, they didn't get a charter. Sponsorship is starting to share with another driver. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, that's a good question, Tommy, <laughs> uh, because that is another blow for 2311. Um, but it is good news for Kevin Harvick, and I agree. It is, I think it's an indication that, that uh, he plans to continue racing for a while now. Uh, but to address the other piece, Kevin Harvick says his Volvo wreck will be the Chase Elliott fan club video for the rest of their existence. I think he's acknowledging uh, that he probably took it a little bit too far there. Uh, but at the same time, he knows he knows that it got people talking and, and people tuning in. Uh, again, he's a promoter at heart. And Kevin Harvick's been doing that for ages. I'd like to say that he's... Um, grown up a little bit from that. Maybe that's an indication that he has grown up from that kind of uh, uh, way of getting people talking about the sport. But um, I remember Kevin Harvick pushing, literally pushing uh, Brad Keselowski into the fray when Brad was trying to stay on the sidelines uh, a few years ago. And that was his way of getting people talking. So uh, it's just part of uh, his core existence, I think. But um, uh, this, I think, is a little bit of an acknowledgement. What are your thoughts? Well, we've talked about 2311 losing the potential sponsor that didn't come over with Kurt Busch over to the 45 car. But the other other part of that deal that didn't inherit the gear wrench sponsorship is – the follow-on to Chip Ganassi Racing, namely Trackhouse, who bought out the Chip Ganassi operation, they also have lost that gear rent sponsorship that didn't follow the, the, the car to the new ownership group. I'm not sure exactly what the sponsorship situation at Trackhouse is going to look like for next year. I hope it's fairly solid. Uh, but it, it always hurts to lose a sponsor, even if it's only for half a dozen races. So 
you know, it's racing, right? There's winners and there's losers. And in this case, there's, it sounds like there's a couple losers and a couple winners. And, well, unlike the rest of the 2021 season, at least Kevin Harvick's a winner here. <laughs> okay. Jay? Well, I was going to compliment Mike on bringing in the uh, the side of uh, Trackhouse not getting that sponsor either, but then then the low blow to Kevin that was that was brutal. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think one of the things was again of what a team offers as it was announced on NASCAR Race Hub. It is going to be the gear wrench shop or portion of the shop within Stuart Haas Racing. They gave them a title sponsor to a part of their racing facility. Uh, I don't remember exactly what room or section of it, but, you know, so there again, it, it's what can what can the sponsor get out of value? I don't know how much that will get promoted, but at least to start with, and it will be in the Stuart Haas Racing as the gear wrench uh, area. So that might have been the determining factor in it all. Um I would have thought maybe not necessarily Kurt Busch, but going to the new team of 2311 would have provided more as they're on the up rise um, or like Mike mentioned track house as, as they go to a two car team and what they've done as a single car team in their first year. But uh, Stuart Haas racing, obviously a stable uh, situation. And again, a bang for your buck. I mean, attaching yourself to Kevin Harvick and Stuart Haas racing, uh, you're going to get in the news one way or another. <laughs> Okay, Tommy. I don't really have much to add. Just uh, wondering what's going on with 23XI. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add either. I just think that uh, uh, it's good for Kevin Harvish, not so good for Trackhouse or or uh, 2311. And uh, uh, we'll see how they make up for it. Um, Kurt Busch is off to a, a rocky start there, but uh, I don't think that that's going to deter him from trying to do his best at, with you know whatever they've got there at twenty three eleven for him for next season. Um, so, Mike, I'll let you have the final word there. I think the eyes here. You're right. The eyes here need to be on twenty three eleven. They've had a couple pretty big hits over the past couple weeks with the the deal with Front Row Motorsports to buy the charter falling through, and now having a a sponsorship dropout. Um, I wouldn't say that this is a cause for major concern. Obviously, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan have deep enough pockets. They could they could put the car on the track all year with their with their own pocket uh, pocket money. But that's not really the way to do it. The you know. You be, the way you become a millionaire in racing is you start as a billionaire. So it's not the most financially secure way for them to go forth, just putting the car on the racetrack out of their pocket. So hopefully we start seeing some good news about the future for that 45 car. I know Kurt Burst is bringing the Monster Energy sponsorship, so it's not like they're completely without anything. But uh, I look forward to more details about what the sponsorship piece for that 45 car looks like next year. All right. Jay, you get the next hot topic. All right. Well, I was just scrolling up. Uh, I put one up uh, this afternoon, I think it was, kind of keeping it a Ford-themed night, if you will. Let me find it back. Uh, RSS. Uh, I take that back. Mike put it up. I will correct that. Mike put it up. Uh, RSS Racing will run multiple cars and have a technical alliance with Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, CMR Construction and Roofing will return to sponsor Ryan Sieg for the full season. That would be obviously for the Xfinity Series in 2022. 
Tommy, your thoughts. Well, I remember Ryan Sieg and Matt Snyder doing pretty good uh, last year. Uh, this year, I feel like Ryan Sieg was bordering the playoffs all year. But um, from what I remember this season, he was in a lot of crashes. But uh, it's good to see that he's going to switch to Stuart Haas, and um, they're going to have multiple cars. But didn't Ryan Sieg have an alliance with RCR? And wasn't Myatt Snyder supposed to be going to an RCR alliance next year? So that might hurt him if that's the case. But uh, good for Ryan Sieg. And uh, he's eventually going to break through. I mean, Brandon Brown broke through this year. So I would say it's only a matter of time before Sieg finally breaks through and gets in. Um, and another question to add to this, I guess, would be uh, what happens with Riley Earps? Because if they're – Stuart Haas is going to uh, do an alliance with uh, Ryan Sieg, and Ryan Sieg's going to run two cars. Uh, that basically, I mean, you want to call it maybe a team and then two satellite teams or two satellite cars for Stuart Haas. So where does Riley Earps go? And uh, who's going to be the other driver at uh, Ryan, Ryan Sieg's car as well? Okay. Mike. I've really found this interesting. I'm not I, – I, I feel great for Ryan C. He's one of those self-made guys, kind of like uh, Tommy alluded to him and Brandon Brown and a couple others. Um, they run their own motorsports team. They put their own cars together. Uh, they're, obviously, they've got their sponsorship partners, but they're, they're kind of out, out there on their own. Um, so I'm really wondering what this partnership with Stuart Haas Racing is all about. Uh, it's not like Stuart Haas is trying to buy into some up-and-coming uh, new star. I don't know that Ryan Sieg has a, a future trajectory that takes him into the Cup Series. Um, and Riley Herbst, definitely, I, I don't see him racing in the Cup Series. So I'm not sure what Stuart Haas's future plan here is with this alliance. I wish him well, and I'm interested to see how it pans out. But I'm really wondering what their uh, what their end goal here on it is. Okay, um, I think that they're trying to Ford uh, has kind of gotten behind the curve, if you will, especially as far as the Xfinity Series is concerned. Uh, they've gotten behind the curve as far as driver development. And I think this is maybe part of that. Maybe they're looking at Ryan Sieg uh, to be part of the uh, mentoring uh, because they are bringing in a second car uh, mentoring for the Ford Development Program. Uh, I think um, I would not be surprised to see Haley Deegan maybe move into a Ford uh, under the Stuart Haas Racing banner next season, and this kind of opens the door for her to do that. Uh, There needs to be more Ford vehicles in the Xfinity Series. Right now, there's a very limited number. I think uh, the last couple of years, it's only been two or three cars that are Fords compared to all of the Toyotas and the the, uh, uh, Chevrolets that run in that series. So, uh, I'm glad to see uh, them uh, putting together this alliance. Stuart Haas Racing is also recognizing that they're behind the eight ball as well as far as their own 
uh, development. They've got the new next-gen car that's coming in next year. Uh, the more people they have under their wings, if you will, to give them feedback, uh, the faster they can develop with this new next-gen car. So I think it all makes sense. Uh, I'm glad to see more Fords coming in to the Xfinity Series, and uh, I think it's a good move. So I think it will benefit both RSS racing as well as Stuart Haas racing. Sharon, what thoughts of my own do I have left to share there? I think you pulled every one of them again. Uh, you did bring it up an interesting one. Uh, I'll spin back to it at the end, but I, th- I think you hit on it there. Ford uh, needing to, to have more of a preference, uh, presence in the Xfinity Series as well as developmental. Stuart Haas Racing being able to have that pipeline without having to fully run a four-car Xfinity Series team or a three-car like we've seen in the past with them having two or, or Joe Gibbs Racing. So I think that, that puts them in a position where they're going to help out another team. And I think Stewart, Tony Stewart especially, we've, we've talked about how much he's involved in all racing motorsports, wants to see everything thrive, uh, an opportunity for them to, to help this series. Because elevating a team, you mentioned it, Ryan Sieg, right on the cusp of the playoffs. He's been in it one year, picked up a win at a road course uh, a few years back, been right on that verge of being one of the top teams, uh, at least for the playoffs, this giving that little bit of boost brings that team, not just one driver or one car, but then hopefully two cars. And then possibly if Stuart Haas racing keeps their own in the number 98 for Riley Herbst, uh, without fully committing to, to having to support their own full team or multi-car team. So the benefits there from both sides. Uh, and then Sharon, you mentioned the, the, the number of people involved in a company that are sharing information, and that goes back to Ford as a whole. The interesting thing there, you mentioned Haley Deegan, and I'm trying to think if Stuart Haas Racing has ever done that with a female driver before. Uh, Oh, yeah, Danica Patrick. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Tommy, your follow-up? I would be interested if this Haley Deegan, um, I mean, she has ran kind of good in some of the truck races this year. I know she did good in some of the ARCA races she ran last year. But uh, I don't know if I would pull her up just yet to the Xfinity level. But if they do, I mean, that would be good, too, because, number one, you know, she's a girl in the sport, so that's a huge deal. And then, number two, she can go ahead and begin the experience in the Xfinity level. And, I mean, look at Ty Gibbs. He went straight from ARCA to Xfinity, and he's doing great. I mean, nothing against the truck series, but maybe they throw her in that Xfinity car and she takes off in it, which was something that Danica wasn't able to do. And it's not that nothing against Danica. I mean, she did have some good runs in Xfinity and Cup, but it was – she just didn't pan out like they thought. But – uh. Maybe Ron Sieg will finally get his breakthrough win in Stuart Haas equipment, and uh, maybe that is the car that they pull Haley Deegan up to. Okay, Mike. The Haley Deegan angle is really interesting. Uh, it's no, no no surprise that she's been a Ford development prospect for several years now. Uh, she's been running in the truck series, and 
okay, not wonderful. Uh, I would uh, I would certainly say that she's not at a Ty Gibbs level of getting in there and, and lighting the Xfinity series on fire. I'd love for her to prove me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But um, kind of like Tommy alluded to with uh, Danica Patrick, moving somebody up, regardless of whether, you know, male, female, whatever, moving somebody up faster than they're ready to move up, it really can limit them. And it, sometimes they'll just straight out end their career. Uh, we saw Daniel Suarez is another great example of a driver who has moved up into the Cup Series probably earlier than he should have been and really struggled for several years before he finally got his feet under him at Trackhouse. Still hasn't made it to victory lane, but it feels like only now is Daniel Suarez really starting to, to come into his own in the, in the NASCAR Cup Series. So I don't think that Haley Deegan's performance in the Truck Series is an indicator that she's going to be anything phenomenal in the Xfinity Series. And if they want to move her up, that's great. But I would be cautious about moving her up too fast to the point where you're exceeding what she's comfortable and ready to be doing to the point where now it's going to have some negative repercussions that she's not going to be able to develop past. Yeah, Tommy and Mike, you both bring up all really good points. Uh, it could be some people, the trucks are just not suited for them, and Xfinity might be more suited for her. Uh, and you brought up Ty Good, Ty Gibbs, good example. Um, uh, and and you know we'll have to see what happens. Uh, but Mike, I think you bring up a good point too. Uh, the first year that Haley Deegan came into the trucks, they told her not to try to go for the win, to get out there and race, but to observe and learn. And that's exactly what she did. And I think that that was great advice for Haley Deegan because Haley Deegan was winning races, quite frankly, in the Arkham Menard series and not exactly the way that you would like to see her winning uh, races. A lot of times she flat out dumped people uh, in order to get the win and had no reservations about it. Um, and and uh, I think that somebody sat down with her and said, that might have worked for you uh, to get those wins in ARCA, but that's not going to work for you when you're up here. You're going to have to learn how to drive. And they spent the last two years with her on that trajectory. To take her out of the, uh, to Mike's point, to take her out of the truck series now after she spent that period of time uh, learning those trucks might be kind of a, a, a rush to rush for her uh, to move her to, into the Xfinity series. Um, and I would like to see her stay in the truck series and see if she can uh, contend for a championship uh, in her third year. So, uh, uh, but I think Tommy makes a good point, too. Sometimes the trucks aren't suited to certain drivers, and they do much better in the Xfinity series. So, you know, it depends on which line of thinking uh, her mentors are on at this point as to which direction she'll take. But but, uh, I think you both bring up some really good points. But I do think I, I to Jay, you know what Jay and I were saying is that they're definitely building their base, if you will, uh, for the Ford camp, and I think uh, kind of putting together uh, that base, especially uh, with this new car coming in. Uh, I know that's in the truck in the uh, Cup series, uh, but again. You know, these guys are developing uh, 
uh, in the Xfinity Series to get to the Cup Series. So I think it's part of the development program for Ford, and uh, they're kind of getting back on track with that, with this move. So, Jay, you get to wrap it up. Well, I think we've already seen that with the, with the not advancing or too fast. You mentioned uh, picking up victories in the Arkham Menards West, uh, however those came about. Uh, then when she she did run the Arca, the main Arkham Menards series, having good runs, top five to top ten. We saw her run uh, second or third, I believe, in the SRX. Uh, again, of that one designed a little bit more to be a little more aggressive. But she has learned that in the trucks. And I, from my understanding, what she says she is coming back to the truck series next year full time, but did say she was mm-hmm. looking for uh, a spot opportunities in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. See how those go. If in 2023 goes to Xfinity Series, keeping that in mind, we've seen it with several drivers. Mike, uh, Mike mentioned one that it maybe didn't pan out. Daniel Swords getting moved up too quick. We've seen some others that maybe – People thought they, they got held there a year or two long. I mentioned, or think of Cole Custer, Austin Sindrick, Noah Gregson. Getting that third, even maybe fourth year in the Xfinity Series. And that's where I think personally, and it, I don't want to say it for sure, but I feel like it was the sponsor, GoDaddy.com, that wanted Danica Patrick moved all the way up to the cup level. Obviously, Stuart Haas Racing is going to take the sponsorship money and give them what they want. I think she was one that needed another year, if not two, in the Xfinity Series, getting used to the car. And we'll have to see how Haley does with the car. Uh, you meant, you, everybody's mentioned that. The trucks are a little bit different. Some aren't suited for that. We saw Jimmy Johnson wasn't suited for Xfinity cars necessarily, but look at what he did at the cup level. So you never know with, with the driver. But I think getting in the Xfinity Series car for several several starts next year, if they go full-time the following year, even if she were to go to winning races, as we saw Daniel Suarez, and winning the championship, that doesn't mean if you do that in one year, you should necessarily move up to the cup. You've got to evaluate it as far as how you think they've learned and, and handle it. So uh, I, th- I think DGR and the team around Haley Deegan has done a good job of advancing her but not too quickly we'll see if that continues as again sponsorship tends to play a role i feel like GoDaddy maybe is the one that caused the downfall of danica patrick okay and and i meant to mention this before uh they haven't said yet either whether or not that second car at rss racing uh is going to be a full-time or part-time car they may do what junior motorsports does with the number eight and rotate several different drivers, like a Haley Deacon is one of those three drivers that they rotate in that car, for instance. Uh, So that was just another thought that I forgot to mention. Okay, we are well past our time here. Uh, We need to uh, start up our roundtable, so Tommy, we'll start with you on that. Uh, At Since 95 fan, uh, Tommy C underscore 24, I tweet every now and then, and uh, I just read an article, Fan at the Track, and that was at Talladega, so go check it out. Okay, Mike. Yeah, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Yeah, go check out Tommy's article. It's a good read. Um, this weekend, or specifically this Sunday, will possibly be the worst day 
of my adult life. Why? Because I'm going to have to get on an airplane right about when stage three starts. So I am going to miss the last bit of the cup series race, possibly one of the best cup series races we're going to see in a long time. So don't y'all spoil it for me. I'm going to be watching it as soon as I get off the airplane. Okay, Jay. Wow. Way to set me up, Mike. It's not like you've ever spoiled one for me, but uh, I'll do my best to behave. Uh, actually, should be hopefully you a quiet weekend me. for me. If, anyway, <laughs> should be a quiet weekend for me, if you can believe that. Uh, our race season is dirt track around here, uh, settling down a little bit. So uh, you can still follow me on Michael Hoosman uh, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. But I'm sure I'll find something to uh, get into anyway. Okay. Um, I am Vampiration Psych on Twitter, Vampiration Blog and Radio everywhere else, including com. And, yes, we have Tommy Stand at the Track article about Talladega Super Speedway up. And, uh, uh, Tommy, you did a great job with that. And uh, it, as uh, Mike mentioned, it is a good read. So if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. Uh, and... Uh, we will be watching the racing this weekend. I am going to be on the road, so I am recording it as well, and we'll be watching it as quickly as I can uh, because I know the racing is going to be fantastic uh, and uh, very intense this weekend with all three elimination races at uh, Martinsville. Uh, so uh, definitely looking forward to it. And uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate all of you, whether you're listening to the podcast or the broadcast. Uh, we, we thank you for taking the time to hear what we have to say. And then to our Fan for Racing crew, uh, that includes Jay Huseman and Michael Ozell, as well as Tommy Clapp. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, we had a really great uh, Hot Topics conversation. And, Jay, uh, thank you for doing what you do with the uh, fantasy group. I didn't get a chance to say that earlier, and I wanted to make sure I got that in. And as our co-host on Thursday night's preview show. So uh, thank you. And uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a night, guys. All right. Good night, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. We'll see you on the other side. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 